This is One on One, New York's longest-running sports call-in show on 90.7 FM, WFUV.org, and WFUVsports.org. How's it going, everybody? This is One on One, live from Los Angeles. It's day three at Radio Row. Nick DeLuca, Jack Roach, Mike Legan, Mike Messina. Appreciate you joining us on this Saturday afternoon. The weekend is here, and Super Bowl 56, just over 24 hours away between the Bengals and the Rams from SoFi Stadium, just over 40 minutes from this Los Angeles Convention Center. So happy that you could join us this afternoon. A lot to cover today. The circle of trust. Is it Joe Burrow or Matthew Stafford in the big game? Who are you rolling with? Is it Sean McVay or Zach Taylor? Who's got the edge in the wide receiver matchup? What's the future of Sean McVay? Is he headed to TV, SoFi Stadium? How's home field advantage? going to play in Super Bowl 56. We talk about prop bets, who you like, and of course, all of the picks from our crew here live at Radio Row. Guys, final day here in Los Angeles. How are we feeling? Feeling pretty good, Nick. It's good to be here on a Saturday. We got pretty much all of Radio Row to ourselves, so I mean, it's nice. We can hear ourselves. I mean, unfortunately, not that kind of same energy that we had earlier in the week. But, again, it's still great to be here at the L.A. Convention Center, part of Radio Row. And you know what, Nick? You brought up a lot of great stuff we're going to be talking about on the show today. And to me, the thing that really is you know, kind of piquing my interest is the thing that you mentioned, the circle of trust when it comes to Joe Burrow or Matthew Stafford. Obviously, yesterday I got a chance to ask Matthew Stafford a question at Rams availability. I know Mike Messina over here got to talk to Joe Burrow. Um, look, i, I got to be honest. I know Stafford's the vet. I know he's got more experience. but And I said it on Thursday's show. Joe Burrow, he's got ice in his veins. He has that, you know, national championship experience. I get it's going to be different in the NFL. Super Bowl's a different animal. But I don't know. Something in my gut tells me I, I really have a good faith in Joe Burrow in this game. And we'll get more into that in a bit. But of all the topics we're going to talk about today, and I know this is one of the first ones we're going to get to, uh, that one really piques my interest. Yeah, I mean, before this season, Matthew Stafford hadn't won a playoff game. So you have that veteran experience. But listen, before this year, Joe Burrow and Matthew Stafford had the same number of playoff wins. So... Definitely excited to hear more from you. Yesterday we got Messina's input um, from that Bengals press conference. Now we'll get that from you with the Rams. But you don't feel that same energy today. We got that hustle and bustle throughout the week, and today we've got the opportunity to break it all down, to speak a little bit about what we learned. So real nice opportunity today, and you I wouldn't want to do it with another group of guys. Exactly, Mike. You said you're excited about that conversation, I'm excited about the touchdown prop conversation. We're got, well, bet prop we're going to have. There's so many that are on the table to be taken, and that's something that's near and dear to my heart, so I can't wait to, to go through that slate and look what that's looking like. In the shadow of the fan duel set up there to our left here at Radio Row, Mike Messina all in on what's going to win him some money when watching Super Bowl 56 between the Bengals and the Rams. All of that excitement, plus getting an opportunity to talk to a number of really great people. Brandon Marshall, former Broncos linebacker, Super Bowl champion, will come in the second hour. In our third hour will be Lee Steinberg, NFL agent here on One on One, and Greg Cosell of NFL Films in just over 15 minutes from now with outstanding insight, a guy who has been at it so long, just the the knowledge that Greg was able to provide in just 
breaking down this game and, and telling us which way things are, are going to go, it was it was really outstanding to be able to catch up with Greg earlier in, in this week. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I mean, when we interviewed Greg, I mentioned to him, you know, obviously growing up, big fan of the NFL Network, big fan of NFL Films. I'd always seen him on shows and pieces. He always had great insight to sort of finally sit down with Greg, pick his brain. And what I really appreciated, and I think the audience is going to appreciate as well, he did a nice breakdown for us of some of the quarterbacks uh, currently in the AFC East in particular. Talked about Zach Wilson, talked about Mac Jones, talked about Josh Allen. He even did a little bit of a draft talk talking about Kenny Pickett, uh, broke down the Super Bowl itself. So, I mean, I thought Greg was great because it was a wide variety of things he touched on, and he's just so knowledgeable. And I think anyone that listens to him or if you listen to our show uh, earlier in the week or you've heard him before, uh, you know what you're in store for. And if you haven't, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Yeah, and... 20 minutes, too. He gave us a lot of time, talked to us about everything Super Bowl, quarterbacks, divisions, you named it, Mike. So ready for the listeners to hear that conversation with Greg, and it should be a good one. And I don't want to preview it too much, but, you know, for the two of us, I think he gave pretty lukewarm takes. Not, not there, there was back and forth. I, I, thought he, I mean, look, I, I think Greg gave some pretty – I mean, look, like I said, he knows what he's talking about. I thought he gave some pretty insightful stuff. I mean, I don't think it was a hot, like, scalding take like you said, but I think – that's not really what he's here for. He should have given an honest assessment, and I think he did that. I think he did a good job assessing both Mac Jones and Zach Wilson. He, he definitely always does that, and as a result of our conversation, I was probably the happiest of the bunch, as you would imagine. <laughs> because, surprise, surprise. Because I don't, you don't need Greg Cosell, as great as he is, to tell you that Josh Allen's the best quarterback in the AFC East. That, that's pretty easy, mm-hmm. I think, for, for everyone to get to. Of course, the, the Bills aren't here. It's the Bengals who are able to make their way through the AFC, and, and that's what we're talking about And We'll start off as as we continue on with the show and, and the circle of trust, as, as Mike mentioned. Just that that to me is really an exciting. I'm very excited to to get a chance to be able to preview that because it's a fascinating conversation for me. There's so much, and in, in, in talking to the NFL players throughout the week, and you'll hear this from Brandon Marshall later in hour two. But the magnitude of this game, managing the emotions, how difficult it is, and you're going to hear that everybody under the sun, everybody at this media availability who's going to be involved in this game in some way, whether it be players, coaches, staff, otherwise, it's just a normal game. That's what they're going to tell you. We just have to treat it like it's any other game. But to hear Brandon Marshall, who who won Super Bowl 50, played in another and lost, it's not. There's more energy being expended there's more attention this moment is just so much bigger than anything that all of these players who haven't been here before have ever experienced so to me that's what I'm looking for heading in to tomorrow who's going to be able to manage the emotion of playing in such a huge game this is the dream this is what people who sign up to play football when they're five six seven years old they have dreams of making it to the nfl they have dreams of winning a super bowl it's all on the line who can manage the emotions look i think that's great and we mentioned when when we're talking about this managing of the emotions i think obviously we're initially going to think about the quarterbacks they're the guys at the center i mean they uh, literally under center but also at the center of the game itself and obviously all the focus is going to fall on them all the blame or the praise is usually going to fall on them too but I mean look at the end of the day this is a team sport everyone's got to perform and what I think the Rams have an advantage of is look has the roster changed since the 2018 season when they made it to the Super Bowl and lost to the Patriots of course but 
for the most part, there are a lot of those same guys that were on that 2018 team who are now back here in the Super Bowl. This is obviously still a very young and inexperienced Bengals team who a lot of people didn't even think were going to make the playoffs, let alone get to the AFC Championship game, let alone make it to the Super Bowl. So I think the Rams have an advantage in that they have a lot of guys who have been here before. And sure, was it not a great experience, not a great game for them? Of course. But any kind of experience is good experience. You can learn from that. So I think that's a positive for the Rams. But to me, what I'm also interested to see is this. We mentioned this on Thursday. Sean McVay obviously was still the head coach at the time at the last Super Bowl appearance, and he did not have a good game. Uh, just Obviously, Jared Goff struggled in that game, etc. but Sean McVay didn't coach well in that last Super Bowl. He didn't coach so well in the last playoff game against the 49ers. So, look, I get that McVay is the more experienced coach, but he's still the youngest head coach in the league. And, you know, you're obviously going up against another young head coach in Zach Taylor. I'm very interested to see, putting the players aside, which of these head coaches, and I get McVay has the experience in the big game, but which one of these coaches is going to be able to keep their team under control, stay, keep the eyes, the eyes on the prize, and just take everything as it comes? Because really, the head coach, we've seen it before. Obviously, players have to play, coaches have to coach, but a coach can really cost his team a game at certain intervals. And you mentioned how there are many of those same players that were in that previous Super Bowl on the team now. And yes, that experience is important, but they put up three points in that game, Mike. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it. I mean, that, that's fair. But, again, my point is this. Any experience is good experience. They had a terrible game. That, that, but the point is they've been here before. A lot of the Super Bowl is, and I heard Tiki Barber mention this uh, earlier in the week. I was listening to the fan. When The Super Bowl is so different because a lot of times players will get nervous before a game. And this was Tiki, what Tiki was explaining. It makes a lot of sense. Players will get nervous before the game, and after, boom, first series, first play, boom, we're settled in, we're locked in, we're playing football, just a football game. The Super Bowl is such a big spectacle. It's so different. It's so weird because you have so many breaks in the game, more so than usual for the commercials because there's so many commercial breaks. It takes, according to Tiki, at least a full quarter to get into that game. And these Rams players know the weird feeling it's going to be. They know that the pacing is going to be off. And I get they only scored three points. I'm not saying, oh, they had such a bad experience. My point is they've been here before. They've been on the stage. They should, be, they should in theory, be better able to handle the nerves, handle the pressure, handle the scene. And I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying if we're strictly looking at experience, I don't care if it was negative or positive. You always learn from what you've done before. And I think that's a positive the Rams have. And you know what? Brandon Marshall backed that up, and he had his ring sitting right here in front of us. So I'll agree with you on that. Okay, yeah. See, see what I'm talking about? There we go, folks. But here's the thing, and, and this is what I find fascinating, and I'll throw this over to Mike Messina here. Sean McVay has been questionable at times throughout – this playoff run throughout previous playoff runs it seems as though he gets a little too amped up as a former player he was a standout in high school back in Georgia winning high school player of the year over Calvin Johnson way back when but he's a really high energy coach he is a guy who lives in you know running down the sidelines sprinting down when they hit a bomb and are able to score a long touchdown that's Sean McVay's energy but some of the challenges that we saw from him in the NFC Championship game, the way that he almost, I, I don't want to say it was, was more being outcoached, it was more he was spooked by Bill Belichick a couple of years ago. I think that's a legitimate concern. Of course, and Mike, you mentioned the experience. They almost just gave up a 27-3 lead against the Buccaneers in, in the playoffs. So mm. I agree with you, Nick. I think the pressure sometimes does get to Sean McVay and that he kind of can't compose himself in these big situations. No matter how young he is, how old he is, great coach, obviously, but can he handle the pressure another Super Bowl against a young team, a young coach like Zach Taylor? I'm not sure. I'm not too confident that this Rams team is just going to be able to run away with this game. And then, of course, would he be able to handle himself if he's in the broadcast booth? <laughs> that's an, that's another question. It's another question. <laughs> to Super Bowl 56 after his media availability. 
talking about would he consider retirement. He, he doesn't see himself being able to do this until he's 60 years old. He wants to spend more time with his family. I mean, look, uh, we had a Sean McVay retirement. I mean, I think he would be our generation's John Madden. Talk about a guy in John Madden who retired relatively young from the game of football, was a Super Bowl-winning head coach with the Oakland Raiders, and hopped up into the broadcast booth and became probably the greatest color analyst of all time. Now, obviously, and we see it so much. We see it with a guy like Drew Brees, who in theory everyone was like, oh, great quarterback, should be great in the booth. And let's be honest. I mean, I, I think Drew's obviously an all-time great player, but he's not that great in the oh, booth. Oh, you're not going to – give Drew Brees I his am. last rights after one year. I'm not giving his last rights, but I'm just telling you, the point is, just because a guy is great for the game of football and is a great coach, quarterback, whatever, we don't know if they're going to translate. You know, I don't think anyone knew that Tony Romo was going to be as good as he was, so I think it's an unknown. I personally, we're talking the McVay retirement. Look, I don't think, he's, yeah, he said he's not going to coach until he's 60. That's probably part of the reason is because he started so young. He's not like a, I don't know, I mean, name your coach. They usually started when they're, they're 40s or you know, whatever. McVay, he's been in the league now as a head coach for a while, and he's still the youngest guy coaching. So I think that's part of it. I just think that, look, if he won the Super Bowl, I guess it would be a legitimate thing to consider. But I don't know. I, I just It's just a gut thing. I, don't, I, don't just, I just don't see the guy, a coach who's at the height of his powers. And I guess, like I said, this could be John Madden 2.0, another guy who was at the height of his powers. But I don't know. I just don't see it. But, you know, if we're going to talk about age, Sean McVay's 36. You know how old Zach Taylor is? 38. 38. You know, if we're playing that game, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to get too uh, far into our, you know, who we got, who we trust more. But um, if we're talking age, those guys are right there. Yeah, and I don't even think McVay's going to stop coaching anytime soon. He, he mentioned before 60. I mean, he's still got a while to be on the sidelines coaching this Rams team. So <laughs> we can talk about broadcasting. It might come. He may be very good at broadcasting as well. But I don't think that's coming in the near future at all. No. It'd be interesting. I think it would be easier for him to walk away if he wins the Super Bowl. If not, I think he's going to continue to coach. If he wins, then he might consider other options. And it's it's pretty darn profitable to be that that color analyst. Tony Romo has proven that. Others have done that as well. You can you can make a, a pretty penny doing that. So we'll go from an early retirement to a potential unretirement. How about any credence to Rob Gronkowski talking about Tom Brady making a comeback? I mean, look, I, we said it all the t before the show started. I, I personally just, I, look, obviously Gronk is different. Him and Brady were still playing with each other up until the end. They're obviously very close. But, I mean, we, we've heard it from basically any guy who's ever played with or against Tom Brady since the retirement. I, I think Julian Edelman said something about, you know, I, I think he can come out of retirement at some point. Uh, I think uh, name the personality of the players. So everyone's mentioned, oh, he can still play. I, I'll believe it after it's been like two years or something like that. I mean, look, I think the simple fact of the matter is as much as Brady is probably the greatest competitor of all time, the drive that he has. I mean, you just see in the way that he lives his life with the with the dieting and the workout. I mean, he's so committed to his craft. You know, I, I wouldn't put it past him to maybe just still have that itch and you just scratch it in some way and come back. But. Look, the guy, what else does he have to prove? He's already cemented his legacy, I think, among, you know, I'd say 99%. I still think there's some people in, in the media world, the fan, you know, sports fan world, who still want to hold on to the idea that Joe, uh, Joe definitely not, <laughs> Joe Montana. <laughs> oh, is, my. Joe Montana is the greatest quarterback of all time, or they want to say, like, Johnny Unitas or something like that. I think pretty much anyone is pretty firmly cemented in the fact that Brady is the, is the greatest of all time. And I don't think he could play another five years. I mean, what else is he going to do that – is going to put his legacy any higher. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and, you know, I just I don't think there's anything to change. So what is really the point? And I think maybe even now, like he's, I think he even said himself, didn't he say in an interview with Jim Gray or something that he's not really sure what's going to happen? I, I, I think 
you know, I think he says that now, but I think he's, he's going to get into the retirement. He's going to play golf, and he's going to be like Drew Brees. They're going to call him up, and he's going to say, no, nah, I'm retired. There's only one person I know that thinks Joe Namath <laughs> is the greatest quarterback of all time. It's not me. There's, there's only one. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. It was it was funny. You know, it, it, it is what it is. He's not. It's, it's Tom Brady. Uh, something that I'm more – concerned about is I'm surprised Gronk hasn't even announced his retirement yet after Brady. I'm surprised that, it's taken this long. That to me is intriguing. I'm curious what happens to Gronk next year. And it's possible. Brady can come back. Sure. Like Mike said, he cemented his legacy three Super Bowls ago, four Super Bowls ago. So if he comes back, I'm not really going to be that surprised. But I'm more surprised Gronk is still a Tampa Bay Buccaneer than anything else. Yeah. Well, he's a free agent right now, so he hasn't yep. positioned himself one way or the other. And he mentioned he hasn't made that decision yet. And you know what? He's left and come back already. He's a guy that's proven that he can take the time off and come back. So, you know, you know, as someone that grew up watching Rob Gronkowski, I'm very interested to see what the future holds. Yeah, he's. I think he's still a weapon at his age. I think uh, the Buffalo Bills might be a team to pay attention to. He's from. He's from Buffalo. Has mentioned that that would be they something would that love might him. be attractive to him at at some point or another. Now, how he fits, whether the Bills are willing to to make that move, and and all of the things that go into it, I think that's a place to watch. Gronk did say if there was a quarterback he wanted to play with, it would be Joe Burrow, though. Okay. So that's something else we have to watch as well. He yeah. said he wants to play for Joe with Joe. So and, that's and something to watch. And the Bengals certainly have the cap space to do it. Of course. Yeah. That'd be interesting for sure. I'd love to see it. I mean, imagine seeing Joe Burrow throw a touchdown. I mean, those two, I mean, they're two of the coolest guys in the league. I, I know Mike. I wouldn't, Mike say, I wouldn't say Gronk is cool. He's entertaining. But Joe Cool, get, though. Joe Cool is cool. But Gronk isn't cool. He's just a goofball. He's fun to watch. But he's not a, I wouldn't call him cool. He's a cool player. He's a talented player. He's, again, when you talk about cool icons of the game, I mean, first off, you want to say Joe Namath isn't the greatest quarterback. Of course he's not. I, I'm a Joe Namath fan. Of course I don't think so. He was cool. He was he transcended the game. Uh, you want to talk about Joe Montana. He was cool. Joe Burrow, he's cool. Gronk is a goof. Like, I like Gronk, but he's not. I don't look at Gronk and say, oh, yeah, he's really cool. I really like that guy. No. I, I think that being the greatest tight end of all time is pretty cool. He's, <laughs> I think Gronk that's is, pretty cool. Gronk is not the greatest tight end of <laughs> all time. Who's the greatest tight end of all time? Kellen Winslow. Really? Yeah. I think Gronk's pretty close. I think the Gronk's up there. The production's been great. What about Mike Ditka? That's a long time ago. Yeah, because I'm an NFL. We can't just because we were born 20 years ago doesn't mean we have to forget the history of the game. We have to still have appreciation. I mean, to this day, people still say Babe Ruth is the greatest baseball player of all time, and basically no one alive has ever seen him play. So just because Gronk and the game has changed – you know, I don't think we can automatically just label Gronk the greatest tight end of all time because he's been the best tight end for the last 10 years or so. We still have to have some deference to the past. I mean, I don't know. I just uh, To me, look, I, I love the Jets, all right? And I, I'll always defend Jet players, and I'll try to, like, stick up for Jet players in their place in history, whether that's Joe Klecko, who should be in the Hall of Fame. I think Curtis Martin's the most underrated running back of all time, you know, top five in rushing. But that being said, I'm never going to sit here and, and plug in a Jet just because you know, I want to put them in the all-time great conversation. We got to be a little careful when we're drinking some of our, our team's Kool Aids, if you know what I'm saying. We got to be a little objective. So, look, I appreciate Gronk. I think he's a top five tight end of all time. He's a Hall of Famer for sure. He's one of the greatest postseason performers of all time, partially due to teaming up with Brady for all those years. But I don't know. I just, for me, as a guy who loves NFL history, I don't. I can't. I don't want to sit here and tell you right now that Gronk is the greatest tight end of all time. I just can't do. That. I don't know. Ninety-three touchdowns, a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Third but also time, think. But way. think about Antonio Gates, Sony Gonzalez. But also think about. Those are two guys, too, that need to be considered. But also think about this. Think about how the nature of the game has changed. Think about how the nature of the tight end position has changed. Gronk is not nearly asked to block as much as a guy like Mike Dicka or Kellen Winslow was asked to block, you know, 30 years ago or Dicka or whatever. Because he's a better athlete. Ago. 
I mean, yeah, you want to. That's fine. But again, they, it's all comparative. Like he's a he's a better athlete than they were then. But all athletes then were on the same level, just like all athletes now are on the same level. It's hard to compare generations, and that's the issue when you come into debates and you get recency bias or you get nostalgia for the past. I don't know. I just I don't want to sit here right now and tell you. I don't think Gron- Brady has done it so much that it's so obvious he's the greatest. I just can't sit here and tell you that it's so obvious that Gronk is the greatest tight end of all time. Well, how important do you consider Super Bowl rings when you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like tight end, yeah, actors, I mean, uh, tight ends, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, he's tied, I think, tied for third right now with six other guys. So, yeah, I mean, look, I think, I think that's a good point, Mike. Uh, but I think the reason, I think, and whether or not this is fair, I think we often associate Super Bowl victories with coaches and quarterbacks because those are the guys leading teams. I mean, we always use the look, look at Eli. I mean, Eli would not be a Hall of Famer if he didn't have a Super Bowl, or didn't have those two Super Bowl rings. Uh, with all due respect to Eli and what he did in his career, longevity wise. You know, but I think when it comes to the tight end position or really any other position on the football field, just because I think it's just just a perception. I just think that people look at whether you want to say tight end, you want to say running back, you want to say a middle linebacker or a corner or something. People don't look at those positions as the key to winning a winning team or the, the main piece to a winning team. So I think we don't value the Super Bowl victories for guys at those positions as much. Whereas whenever we talk about, for example, a Dan Marino, you know, it always comes up. The guy never won a Super Bowl. When we talk about, you know, Jim Kelly, it always comes up that he never won a Super Bowl. I think it's just the nature of the position and the fact that their view, the quarterback position is always viewed as the center, as the leader of a good team. I think Gronk's got a case for what it's worth. Mike Ditka, 427 career receptions, just south of 6,000 career yards, 43 touchdowns. So I'll leave it with that. we got to head to break. Two hours from now, Lee Steinberg joins the show. An hour from now, the top of next hour, Brandon Marshall, former Broncos linebacker, Super Bowl 50 champion. On the other side of this break, we talk to Greg Cosell of NFL Films. He'll give us some great insight on Super Bowl 56 between the Rams and the Bengals. Stay with us here from Radio Row. Hi, I'm Michael Calamari, reminding you to tune into New York's longest-running sports call show, One on One. Catch all the breaking sports news, hot takes, inside scoops from our beer reporters, and interviews with people around the world of sports. One on One airs every Saturday from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on YouTube Live, and once again at night from 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. on 90.7 FM. Want more one-on-one? Catch our Wednesday edition of the show, one-on-one nightly from 8.30 p.m. to 10 p.m. on Twitter and YouTube Live. Join the conversation and tune in to one-on-one, New York's longest-running sports college show. NFL Films, a guy who's going to have such great insight for us on on this Super Bowl, the Rams and the Bengals coming up on Sunday. Greg, appreciate you taking some time. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're good. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, curious, just, you know, I, I know that you're a guy who's really good with the film study, breaking things down. What do you see? How did this match up between the Rams and the Bengals? That's a very open-ended question. Well, I just, you know, I wanted to, to, to give, you, give you the floor. What are you seeing? Um... Well, you know, I think, I think one of the main things to look for in this game is what tactics the Bengals deploy to compensate and camouflage the fact that they have an offensive line weakness. Mm-hmm. We know that it's no mystery to anyone. It's not a scoop. So the question becomes, how do they deal with that? Um, 
my sense is they're going to want to see this game as a four-quarter game uh, where the tactics that they deploy early can build and work over time. And by that I mean they're going to need to run the ball. So the question is what kind of runs? What kind of runs will best accomplish what they want to get done and will marry best with their passing game to minimize pass rush? And I think they'll start with outside zone because what outside zone does is it gets a defensive line moving laterally and then put Burrow under center and go with the play-action pass game off outside zone because when the D-line moves laterally, they're not rushing the quarterback initially. So <clears throat> all that tough stuff take, takes time to percolate. They were able to do that in the AFC Championship game. A large reason they were able to do that was also because of the fact that the Chiefs didn't really score in the second half, so they were able to stay with the run game and make it a four-quarter-slash-overtime game. Um, so I think there's other things I think you'll see from the Bengals to try to uh, compensate for their O-line. You'll see the screen game. You'll see the boot-action-pass game. Um, you know, so will these things work? Only the game will tell, but those are, I'll be looking for, for those kinds of things because, obviously, by choice, they can't have Joe Burrow drop back 45 times. Because you can't live on quick game yeah. throws. You can't live on three-step drop throws. A lot of focus on the <coughs> offense for the Bengals and how good that Joe Burrow has been, along with Jamar Chase, and the impact that he has made in year one. I'm curious what you see from Cincinnati's defense, though. A masterful, masterful performance in that second half to shut down the Kansas City Chiefs offense. And as good as Patrick Mahomes has been, there was nothing to speak of in that second half. What do you see from them? Yeah, they made some adjustments in the second half. And I was surprised, to be honest with you, that it impacted the Chiefs as much as it did. But what they did, in the first half, they played almost all zone, and they played uh, with, with two split safeties. They came out in the third quarter, and they played more man, and they dropped Von Bell down in what we call a robber position, where he was about 12 yards from the line of scrimmage right in the middle. And um, they did that because the Chiefs has some staple route concepts that that particular coverage does a good job of taking away. And then at times they rush three and they dropped an eighth defender into coverage. Um, I think you'll see the robbers somewhat in this game against the Rams. Uh, they won't do it as much because the Rams will obviously have seen all that and will be better prepared for it. But it does work against the Rams because the Rams are really good at running what we call high-low concepts. Uh, and that high concept usually breaks right into the middle where Von Bell would be if he's the robber. Um, I think Putting pressure on Stafford's really important. They're not a high-percentage blitz team. They're a selective blitz team, but they've got some really nice concepts. Logan Wilson is a really intriguing player for them, the linebacker. And Sam Hubbard's interesting because Hubbard's a DN, but they stand him up at times behind the line of scrimmage, and they use him on different stunt concepts. So uh, they're going to need to get pressure on Stafford, uh, and you know I think there's ways for them to do that. Talking with Greg Cosell from NFL Films. I want to flip the script here, go to the Rams' perspective of things. How impressed have you been with what Matthew Stafford has been able to accomplish in year one with Sean McVay and the way that they have married what is his strength and also what Sean McVay wants to run on offense? Yeah, well, <clears throat> Stafford's been a great player for a long time. Um, he's an elite thrower of the football. Um, they've been able. They, McVay wanted Stafford because he can do more with his offense with Stafford than he could with Goff. And what they've done a lot of is they've no team has been in empty sets 
more than the Rams this year because Stafford can, can run the drop-back passing game. Goff was not, that was not Goff's strength. Goff needed the play-action pass game. Stafford gives you the drop-back pass game, so they were an empty far and more. Plus, Stafford can work the entire field much better than Goff can. So I'm not the least bit surprised at what Stafford's done. Stafford's been a, a really good quarterback for a long time. You talk to any coach in the NFL, and Stafford is thought of extremely highly. You know, people just say, oh, well, he's never won a playoff game. I mean, you know, that, that doesn't speak to what the individual traits are. He's a high-level traits quarterback. You know, Greg, just to shift away from the Super Bowl for a second, obviously you're connected in a strong way to two very significant NFL media personalities, the first being obviously you're the nephew of the late Howard Cosell, the all-time, one of the greatest announcers in sports history, even going beyond football. You think about boxing, et cetera. And then obviously you knew Steve Sable, the great NFL Films president, who so much of what the Super Bowl is nowadays, so much of the history of the NFL was captured by him. I don't think any of us would look at the NFL the same way if it wasn't for Steve. So those are two guys who really shaped the game of football into what it is today, I think, from a media point of view. I was just wondering, having known both of them, is there a story, maybe just one of them or ah. both of them, whatever, that you could share? Nothing, I don't know, too crazy, but just like, I don't know, something that would be interesting for us to hear as someone who knew them both so personally. Well, you know, my uncle, it was a little different just because when he was big, I was, you know, it was in the 70s, I was in high school and college. So I didn't spend a lot of time with him at that yeah. point. Mm -hmm. Steve is, he was, Steve was really my mentor. Um, in 1984, Steve basically came to me. I'd been at NFL Films for five years because I'd just finished my 42nd season at Films. Steve came to me in um, the summer of 84, spring or summer of 84, and basically said, you know, because you have to remember what the world was like then. ESPN had only been in existence yeah. for five years. And they, you know, they weren't a big-time sporting company yet, you know, as far as TV. And he said, you know, hey, I think I might have an idea, and, and I, you're the guy. You know, I'm just going to tell you the idea, and, and it's, it's all on you. <laughs> and it was the idea of a matchup show. And he basically handed it off to me, and at that point, you know, that was 1984, you know, we basically created the NFL matchup show. And we were the first to deal with X and O football. We, we've been on every single year since. You know, this is now 2022 coming up. So I've been, you know, I was the producer on that show until five years ago, and now I'm, I'm on the show as, as an analyst. Um, but, uh, you know, I remember Peter King telling me when I saw him at Eagles training camp a few years ago, right before the pandemic, he said, you know, do you realize that if it wasn't for you, you, you basically created a whole genre of, of how to talk about football. And I just said, Peter, I don't really think of it that way, but it's nice of you to say. But, I mean, basically... You know, with the matchup show, that's what we did. Because back then, people said, "There's no, no one cares about football like that. And we just, we were able to do a lot of trial and error, mess around a lot, probably make a lot of mistakes. I'm sure we did. Probably do a lot of shows that if I look back now, I would think we're awful. But, you know, we persevered, and, uh, and here we are. Question that I, it's kind of a personal question, but, like, one of the shows on, on NFL Network that I've always really enjoyed that's really enlightening to me is the NFL Top Ten show, the hour-long show that you guys do where you do, like, right. Top Ten, uh, you know, comebacks or, like, Top Ten, you know, I don't know, snake-bitten franchises. one I always remember as a Jet fan. I remember the Jets being on that <laughs> list, obviously. Um, and you've obviously contributed on the segments where they do the little interview the pieces, interviews, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I was just wondering, 
uh, for someone like me, who's, you know, obviously like 22, I'm younger, like so much of what I learned about the, I love the history of the NFL, and so much of what I learned is through that show. Like I learned about like the Ice Bowl in that game or learning about guys like Johnny Unitas or stuff like that because like obviously I wasn't alive for them and I'm too lazy to read a book, but I'll watch, right, right. I'll watch the show and I hear about all these great guys like Sonny Jurgensen or Sammy Ball or stuff like that. Like you were with NFL Films when the show was created, you've been on the show. Like what was kind of the, I know this is like a niche question, but I'm just so curious. What was kind of the inspiration behind that program? And, you know, what, what do you enjoy well, about it? I think the inspiration, quite honestly, is, <laughs> is nothing amazing. I yeah. think the inspiration is that people like lists. Yeah, that's true. So <laughs> you come up with different ideas for lists. It's just like I do a ton of draft work, and all people want to know is how do you rank guys? Because yeah. people want, you know, who's, your, who's first, who's second, who's third. People yeah. like lists. So you play off the idea of people liking lists, and you do that. And it's, that's what it is. Do you have a favorite list that you've done? Do you remember any oh, of those shows? <laughs> Because what they do with me, and obviously the pandemic changed everything, but what they would get me, they'd, they would literally, I would do the interview for two hours, and they'd ask me <laughs> questions on, you know, 15 different shows. Yeah. So I, I can't even remember that. <laughs> well, and then some things yeah. I remember well and, and felt really comfortable talking about, and then other things I would have to say, I really don't remember that, you yeah. know. So, yeah, but no, it's it's... People like lists. I, I mean, I like lists. I love the show. That's so the way it works. People, people love lists. Talking with Greg Cosell of NFL Films. I'm going to ask him who the number one pick in the draft is going to be. No, I'm just kidding. No, yeah. <laughs> I, he's, he hasn't gotten to that yet. Well, I've, 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 seen, I've watched four quarterbacks and five wideouts so far. But that's who what do you I've like done. out of quarterback class, then? Oh. I, and, and I've watched a lot of these guys from previous years as well. You know, because a lot of times in the summer, believe it or not, during my vacation, because I normally <laughs> don't go anywhere, I'll just go in and watch guys, you know, who are, who are going to come out the next year. Yeah. You know, so I'll watch their, their tape from the year before. Um, I think that, the, to me, the top quarterback in the draft is Kenny Pickett. I think yeah. he's going to be the, the first quarterback chosen. Where that is, I couldn't tell you, but I think he's the best quarterback prospect in this draft class. But, you know, different teams have different priorities. Yeah. I mean, if you spoke to any team, you know, any quarterback evaluator, they would probably all list the same traits. The question is, what value do they ascribe to those traits? Mm -hmm. And different coaches... Different evaluators might ascribe different values. So someone could say, oh, I like this guy better because I, I like trait A and C, whereas another guy says, oh, I like this guy better because I like trait D and E. You know, so it's, it's – and you have to remember, when coaches get involved, coaches think about how a quarterback fits into their offense. So while they're looking at general traits – because they obviously want guys with higher level traits than not, but they still think of how a guy fits into his offense, so it becomes scheme adaptability as well as just traits. You mentioned, we mentioned the quarterbacks. There was a report, I think it was last week or something like that, from a bunch of anonymous NFL scouts saying something along the lines that they don't think, I don't know who these scouts were obviously, but they don't think that there's any real quality starting quarterbacks in this draft class. Do you, I mean, I'm guessing, well, do you think Pickett's going to go the first round? You I don't think feel Pickett, that way. I think Pickett's a quality starting quarterback okay. in the NFL. Um, you know, then it comes down to team, and there's so many variables that involve team. Then it comes down to how he's coached. Um, I can tell you for a fact he's wired right. I, I spoke to people who interviewed him at the, at the senior ball, and they said the kid is just phenomenal. So, I mean, Pickett will be a starter in the league. You know, no one can sit here and say right now, well, will he be a top five player? You know, no one knows that mm -hmm. because there's too many variables. Yeah. But he'll be a starting quarterback in the NFL. We're talking about rookies coming out and the quarterback class and all that stuff. Curious what you see from 
the quarterbacks that are currently in the AFC in particular. I mean, you got so many good ones. Yep. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, who's made his way to a Super Bowl. Is there somebody in the AFC that, when watching the film, really impressed you this season more so than maybe they're given credit for in the media? Oh, I have to think of the AFC teams now. <laughs> because you obviously mentioned, you know, you mentioned the obvious guys. Um, I'm trying to think of the teams. Who's in the AFC? <laughs> um, yeah, well, we'll stick with it with your name since I can't go through all the teams in my head this quickly right now. Um, you know, Josh Allen's a fascinating case study because Josh Allen, and I actually do the Colin Coward show, and I remember doing the Coward show when Josh Allen still had a year remaining in Wyoming, and we talked about Josh Allen, and I had told Colin that he's a guy to watch. And, you know, Josh came into the league as a kind of a wild stallion. Josh is 6'5", 240. Um, his, he was obviously, he struggled with ball placement. Um, he was all over the place. But there was something there. And I've, I've been around Josh Allen. He is a big dude. I've, I've stood right next to him when he's thrown it. It comes out of his hand differently. Um, and he's a fascinating test case because his ball placement has dramatically improved and most people would say you can't improve like that. That guys who are not necessarily accurate don't become accurate. Um, but he's improved dramatically and he's a little bit of a freak because of his size, his movement, the arm. I mean, his arm is ridiculous, uh, but yet he can throw with some touch now. So he, he to me, I mean, I, I said last summer and I said he's the most physically gifted quarterback in the NFL, and I said that's different from saying the best, although he may be working toward that. But I said last summer he was the most physically gifted quarterback in the league, and he is. Well, it's funny that you say that because last night we were actually getting into a bit of debate about if Josh Allen was more gifted than Patrick Mahomes, which Nick and I were saying, and we were having a debate with some other people. But I think, Jack, you had a question. Yeah, this, this may be a tad bit selfish, but I'm just curious what oh, you gosh. think Mac Jones' ceiling is. You know, he showed a lot of progress as a rookie, um, but I think there are questions about what his potential really is. You know, what, what do you see out of him in a few years from now? <clears throat> well, Mac Jones will never be Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes Absolutely. or Justin Herbert. He's just not gifted enough. So Mac Jones, Mac Jones has some really good traits, though. Um, Mac Jones is really good in the pocket, has a really good feel for the pocket. Um, He's a lot better with people around him than, than some might think because he doesn't have to stride to throw it. He's very compact in his delivery, so he can make throws with people around him. He's very, very accurate. Um, he's got a, a really refined sense of timing and anticipation. Um, he's, Mac Jones is your classic executor and ball distributor. That's what he is. So I think Mac Jones can be a really good quarterback. He... You know, again, what that means, you know, I don't deal in numbers, you know, whether is Mac Jones going to throw 45 touchdowns? Sure, he could. I mean, I guarantee that, you know, early in Tom Brady's career, and I'm not comparing him to Brady, I'm just, you know, making the point that early in Brady's career, you know, I, I doubt anyone thought that from a, a, a statistical standpoint he would do what he did in his career. Um, so much of Mac Jones, you know, depends on other things at this point. You know, it's, it's, he, his talent level, you know, talents is a relative term because you know, physical gifts, like obviously Josh Allen, you know, we can all see he's big, 
He, he's got a hose. He can run. You know, you wouldn't, you're not going to say that about Mac Jones. But that doesn't mean he can't be a good quarterback. So there's, there's, you know, there's different ways to talk about good quarterbacks. I think Mac Jones will be a good player. You know, will he make the plays individually that win games by himself? That remains to be seen. Tom Brady did, and he did it without being able to run around. You know, normally quarterbacks like Mac Jones, they have to be great before the ball is snapped. They have to win the down before the ball is snapped. Because if the structure of the play does not work, he's not going to make something happen. So those guys win, like Brady. Brady, Brady wins before the ball snapped. You know, are there plays and games where he doesn't? Of course. So he throws it away. He doesn't get sacked very much, but he throws it away. But those guys have to win before the ball snapped. Greg, we already talked about Josh Allen. We talked about Mac Jones. As a Jet fan, I would just really appreciate whether it's quick. I don't care. Oh, boy. we got to go around the table with the AFC East quarterbacks. You want to talk about Zach Wilson? I do want to talk about Zach Wilson. Whatever you want to <laughs> say, I'm all possible, ears. I don't, you, I don't care how much it is to say. Just your thoughts on Zach Wilson, ever short or long as it needs to be. Yeah, Zach Wilson's got a lot of talent. I mean, he's got a loose live arm. He's got light feet. He's athletic. Um, I don't think he yet sees things very well. I don't think yet he understands what kinds of throws to make that are demanded on, on a given throw. Um, he throws everything 100 miles an hour. Um, you know, he's a little bit of a trick shot artist. You know, I think he's got to kind of settle down, see things, play within structure, play within rhythm. Um, so I think he's got a ways to go. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whether he gets there remains to be seen. As you guys know, just if you're history buffs in the NFL, <laughs> yes. you know, when five quarterbacks are drafted in the top 15, not all five become stars. Yep. Um, As a Jeff fan, I know that really well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, Wilson's got... Like I said, if you made a list of just traits, in physical traits, yeah. Wilson's got a lot of them. But that's not purely enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and he's he's got a ways to go. I mean, there were, there were a few moments later in the season where I thought, okay, this is a better performance. And the next week it looked like he was back being yeah. kind of, you know, uh, you know, back in his wild stallion, you know, mm -hmm. days, as, as I mentioned with Josh Allen early in his career. But Zach Wilson has a little of that. Um, I'm never a believer in calling a quarterback a bust after one season. I think that's ridiculous. Yep. The NFL is really hard. It's really hard for quarterbacks. Um, you know, he's just going to have to kind of evolve his game so that it fits the NFL. The, the NFL game, it's not, he's got to play within structure and, he, and all the trick shot throws that look cool at BYU, <laughs> you know, that's, that doesn't make for a great NFL quarterback. Yeah. Greg Cosell, longtime member at NFL Films. We appreciate you taking some time with us here on Radio Row. No problem, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, Greg. Hey, everyone. I'm Kayla Wenzel, reminding you to follow WFUV Sports on all your social media platforms. Check out our Twitter or Instagram by searching at WFUV Sports. This way you can follow along with our New York Beat reporters in and post-game reports. You can also find highlights from today's basketball game and even links for our one-on-one -on -one broadcasts. 
Our social media keeps you up to date with all WFUV coverage. So make sure you give us a follow so that you never miss an update. Coming up on the noon hour here on the West Coast in Los Angeles, this is One on One, New York's longest-running sports call-in show, live on day three from Radio Road, the Los Angeles Convention Center. Nick DeLuca, Jack Roach, Mike Legan, Mike Messina here with you. 25 minutes or so from now, we chat with former Broncos linebacker, Super Bowl 50 champion Brandon Marshall, giving us great insight about all things Super Bowl, the environment heading in to the big game. Our thanks to Greg Cosell for spending some time with us earlier on this week. Some great insights about what to expect from this Super Bowl. A hand in talking about each of the AFC East quarterbacks and what to expect now and into the future. Guys, I really enjoyed our time with Greg, such great insight and and a lot to learn from somebody who's watching so much film all the time. Yeah, I mean, look, I said it off the top, and Nick, you just said it as well. Greg is just a great source of knowledge. He knows so much about the game. He can provide just excellent analysis of players. And obviously for me personally, you know, as someone who is very interested, invested in the future of Zach Wilson, you know, I, I don't think Greg said anything that I haven't said before or personally believe. I mean, look, I think I'm I think slightly more just in the way I present the information optimistic about Zach, obviously. But, look, Greg knows way more about football than I do, and I value his opinion. I think it was an honest and true one. I think it was a good one. Um, you know, and I appreciated his thoughts on Mac Jones as well because I think sometimes some of us, not naming names, <laughs> get a little too optimistic about – Who would that be? I don't know. Uh, I think Quiggs is a, is a big fan. <laughs> Quiggs is one too. Uh, uh, no, I, no, not even just Jack. I mean, I'm just p- people in general. Whether Kelly it's, Bright, I mean, yeah, Kelly. I mean, yeah. I just there are a I, lot of guilty parties that, here. Well, yeah, Patriot fans. Because this, and I said this earlier in the week. I don't think I said this on the. I don't. I don't think if I said this on the air, I might have just said this when we were hanging out in L.A. Here, you know, Patriot fans think just because they had Tom Brady, the great, and I'm not even denying this. I firmly believe he is the greatest quarterback of all time, and it's not even close. Just they think just because they had him then they, they suddenly draft this next guy. The next quarterback they draft is going to be the next Tom Brady. And Mac Jones is good, and I'm sure he's going to be solid. But I think Patriot fans just, they're looking at things with rose-colored glasses a bit, and I think Greg gave a, a very solid, honest assessment of him as well. I, I Jack don't dis- Roach, the floor. Yeah, I was going to say, that's Mike Ligon of NFL Films right there. Jack, it's yeah, all you. You can, you can turn off the mics now. No, um, <laughs> I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, right? And but... <laughs> I, I, I recognize that Mac Jones has physical limitations. And I'll, I'll put this in an in a objective way. You have to be encouraged by a rookie quarterback going 10-7 and seven in his first year and throwing almost 4,000 yards. That's and falling that's, off the face of the earth in yes. four of the last five games. But, but that's what happens will, in rookie seasons. They're not perfect for players. Justin and he Herbert. looked pretty darn good. Okay, you know, if Mac Jones was Justin Herbert, we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? But he showed some real promise as a rookie, whereas we're talking about guys like Daniel Jones, guys like Zach Wilson, how we want to see that progress in the following year, right? We want to see progress, and we got that in Mac Jones. But but here's where I want to pin you down, and I I want to really— I don't think Daniel Jones is a fair comparison, but go ahead. Okay, so so this is what I want to really get Uh after. You might be encouraged by his progress, but do you honestly believe— that he is somebody who is talented enough, has the potential to progress enough 
to help the Patriots compete with Josh Allen in his own division, with Patrick Mahomes, with Lamar Jackson, with Justin Herbert, with Joe Burrow. I mean, you, named, you named guys that are obviously better than the Mac Jones. The all-world class of quarterbacks. Yes. I'm saying, can he get there? Yeah. Pers- he can't, no. But I think he could still be a guy. He could be the quarterback on a Super Bowl winning team. But I don't think he's as good as the guys that you just mentioned. Okay. But I don't think, you know, the other day we talked about how you need a quarterback to win in this league, right? I'm of the opinion, and I'm not going to, you know, give you a, a full professor lecture on this, but I personally just don't 100% think that you need that elite quarterback to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, but if he's going to be a Super Bowl winning quarterback, those are the guys he's going to have to get through in order to get there. And if he's not up to their standards, how will he ever he's not get, playing get defense. to a Super Bowl he's not or playing even defense. win a Super Bowl? Well, I, I think, yeah, I think their defense proved in the wild card round that they could really help Mac Jones to a Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, the, the Bills game went, <laughs> went great for that defense. Look, I just I mean, want to say great. this. I'm not, I'm not saying that they did. <laughs> you know, no, 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 actually they played historically bad. In fact, yeah, every yeah. time the Bills touched the ball, they scored a touchdown. Look, look, that, that happens. For that me, happens, look, yeah. Jack just said. No, it actually doesn't. It never happened before. No, I, it, but it did happen. Let me just get this point in here. And uh, look, no one likes hating more on the Patriots and you know busting those chops more than mm-hmm. I do. But let me say this: you know, Jack, you just said you don't think you need an elite quarterback to win a Super Bowl. You know, I defi- in today's current era of NFL football, show me the team that has won a Super Bowl in the last twenty years or so that has done so. And let me finish before I say done so without an elite quarterback. The only ones that come to mind are Trent Dilfer, which was 22 years ago. Okay, The NFL is not like it was with the 2000 Ravens. The other one I'm thinking of is, and I'm blanking on the name and I apologize, the quarterback of the Buccaneers in 2002 beat the Oakland Raiders. Jeff Garcia? No, Garcia was not the quarterback then. Uh, Brad Johnson, I think that was the quarterback then. Mike how about Peyton Manning? I was going to say, yeah, how about, how about Brock Osweiler, Peyton Manning? Come on. Like, but like, Brad Johnson? Peyton, Peyton so was, Brad, it was Brad Johnson. Johnson. I was right. Pe- okay. Peyton had a great career, but he was. I mean, okay. he couldn't but, throw. But my, but my point is, we've now named... First of all, Brad Johnson and, and Trent Dilfer, that's a different era of football. I think the Peyton Manning one is a fair comparison. So well, how about we, the 49ers? Take that one. They didn't they win, didn't it, win, but they that's made the it. That's the point. Yeah, but what does it matter that. if you don't win? Because they played in a Super Bowl. And at the end but of the day. But it means nothing if you don't win the yeah, Super Bowl. What does that matter? They they that, that, the that's you, that's think, a participation do, trophy do right people, there. Do people. Do no, people. Yes, it is. Okay, excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Do people look, and with all due respect, and I do think this is a team that slept on, and I think that needs more praise, and I'm being honest with you, Nick. Yeah. But do people look at the Buffalo Bills as a team that's up there with the Montana 49ers or with the, the Patriots of the 2000s? They don't. And the reason is because they never won a Super Bowl. You can – now, Jack, and, I, and maybe you're not even realizing this. Maybe it's like a subconscious thing. Like, <laughs> you know, you, you're root for the Patriots. You, you saw six Super Bowl championships. So I yep. think it's easier for you to sit here and say, oh, it's just good enough to get there. Well, as people here who don't have those kind of teams in their lives and majority of NFL fans don't have those teams in their lives, let me tell you right now. Just getting to the Super Bowl? Why don't we ask the Bengals and Rams fans who are in town this week? Do you think any of the Bengal fans, let's go outside this building right now, let me find someone and say, hey, in uh, what year was that, 1988, with Boomer Size in a quarterback as the 49ers? 88, 89. Yeah. Do you think any one of those Bengal fans sits there who watched that game and says, oh, it was fine. You know, we, we, we almost won. It was okay. It's a great memory. I guarantee you every Bengal fan, that we, a true Bengal fan, if we go out there and we talk to them, they say, I have nightmares over that Montana drive in the final minute. I still can't believe that we were that close and we never got one. And now I've sat here for years and we still never have a Super Bowl. It is not enough just to get there. So and you're saying that it's just as good to get bounced in the first round as to lose in the Super Bowl? At the end of the day, are you champion or no? Did you win the Super Bowl or did you not? 
you didn't win the Super Bowl, but I don't do you think, think you can tell the story think, of football think, without the teams think, that played yeah, in the game. I, yeah, I don't but think that, that's fair to say that it's the same. I it's mean, not you, the same. Your, your goal should not be just to get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's but what I think I'm saying. At the same time, there is also something about when you get to a game of this magnitude. I mean, these are two really good teams. The path to get to the Super Bowl is so difficult, and I think that there has to be some acknowledgement that you, you were right there. You had that opportunity. Of course, if you end up losing, it didn't go your way, and, and obviously that's not something – that you extensively celebrate, but at the same time, you don't want to say that the Super Bowl is a crapshoot, but it's just these are two great teams going at it, and anything can happen. Any given Sunday, those types of things, and you're not going to play a team that's not good in the Super Bowl. That's yeah, just fair. No team is going to run that road to get to this point and not be good. So to set yourself up, I think most teams probably – sit there and and identify how do we best get to a Super Bowl. You're trying to map the thing out with the path. But also, I don't think it's realistic to say teams don't have the goal in mind of winning the Super Bowl. I don't think anybody dreams. The the general manager and the head coach don't take the job saying we're going to get to the Super Bowl. It's always we're going to try and bring a championship to the city that, that we're working for now. And a lot of the players at Bengals availability yesterday, that question was asked, how important is it to the city of Cincinnati to be in a Super Bowl right now? And I believe it was Jamar Chase who said, yeah, it's good that we're here, but the job's not done. This is a regular season game for us right now. Mindset stays the same. Um, everything stays the same, but the goal is to win the game. It means nothing to the city if they don't win the game. But in response to that, when has an athlete ever said, "Of course, oh, we got here. You know, that's good enough." But do you but really think exactly anyone believes that? Saying, too. Do you really think any? Uh, you are, do you really think a world class athlete who is at the top of their game? Who I mean, to me, the best athletes want to win, and I and I think we're talking about the best players in NFL history, the ones that help you get to a Super Bowl. Do you really think whether it was Troy Aikman, Steve Young, Joe Montana, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees? Do you really think any of them? Would have sat there after losing a Super Bowl, which, you know, they, they all won one. Do you think any of them would have sat there and said, oh, it's okay that we lost? Do you really think any of them believe that? Listen, you're, you're acting like I think the Super Bowl is not important. I'm not I saying that. What I'm saying is. is I'm, but I'm, if you get there, you're clearly a good football team. No, of course team, you are. I agree. Right? I agree. The 49ers I agree. team with Jimmy Garoppolo made a Super Bowl. Is the season a failure if you lose in the Super Bowl, though? It's not a failure. But my point is this. That's I, a good question. I, I think. My point is this, Jack. I agree that a team that gets the Super Bowl, of course, is not a bad team. Of course, you got to be a good team to make it through the playoffs, get to the Super Bowl. I'm not saying that they're a bad team, but as an organization, and this is where it gets to the Patriots' point. As an organization, your goal can't be just to get there. Your goal always needs to be to win. You, after the fact, Monday morning quarterbacking it, you can say, "Hey, given what our roster was, given our limitations, you know, it was impressive that we got here. We should be proud of ourselves." That's fine. But you cannot sit there as an organization running your football team, trying to be the best team you can, and say, we are trying just to, we're good enough with that. No, you need to aim for the Super Bowl, and then after that you can say, hey, it's impressive enough that we got here. And that's what my issue is with Mac Jones. I think that's what Nick's issue is. He, I don't think, is ever going to be that guy when you're trying to win a Super Bowl who is that piece that you know, hey, he can help us win one? Do you want me to stir the pot here? Yes, sure. please. Because I don't please. think he can get to a Super Bowl either. Well, that, not, yes. not, with this, <laughs> not with this current crop of, especially, of AFC quarterbacks. I just don't believe it. Especially after you just said, Jack, that you don't think he's up to par with any other quarterback that's, that Nick has already named. So if he's not that good, how is he going to be able to compete in that division in a championship game to get to the Super Bowl if because he's not as good? I think he's better than Jimmy Garoppolo. But what? What does that even but, mean? But Jimmy Garoppolo well, has proven to you that, that he can't a Super Bowl either. Because I, I think it's, I mean, I don't think it's a crapshoot, but that 49ers team made a Super uh, okay. Bowl, which clearly uh, a good uh, team. Uh, 
right? If ours, but if, I, we're, I if our conversation think... is that Mac Jones' limitation is that he's only good enough to make the Super Bowl, then you know I'm. Jim, I'm Jim, happy I just with told that. you that I don't think he's good enough to even make the Super Bowl. Also, because I think the way that you have to play with Mac Jones is such that you have to have so many things go right around him mm-hmm. that you you have to be just in tip-top shape as an organization. And by the way, the guy who's running the personnel department in that New England organization, I don't have trust there. I really don't with the way that they have built that roster. That defense is old. It's slow. It doesn't stop anybody toward the end of the season. Jonu Smith's making $18 million a year next year. That's insane. That's that's insane what they are doing personnel-wise. Look, I want to say this. I mean, you bring up Jimmy Garoppolo, and that's a fair point. That's an example, a recent example of a team that got there. Okay, fair enough. Like I said, I don't think that's enough. But did Jimmy Garoppolo have to get to the Super Bowl by playing in the AFC and playing against Lamar Jackson, playing against Justin Herbert, playing against Joe Burrow? Who did Jimmy Garoppolo beat in that playoffs? I mean, he beat Aaron Rodgers, to be fair. Oh, I'll yeah, that, that guy stinks. Okay, that, okay, okay. excuse me, excuse me. He's got a checkered playoff history. He's also got history. a checkered playoff history, okay, exactly. that's fair, that's fair. So we got Aaron Rodgers is the one quarterback. Oh, but let's not act like run. Lamar Jackson. I mean, you've named a lot of guys, you know? Like, but you're th- just talking think about, about how the good they are on It's like you beat, in the NFC, you beat the one giant, boom, you're done. In the AFC, it doesn't matter. Wild card, divisional, championship, you are facing a top quarterback. That's how stacked the AFC is. To me, and Nick just said this, you will never win because of Mac Jones. You will win in spite of Mac Jones. I don't think. In spite, that's absurd. I'm sorry. I don't but think he's a guy so who can carry a team. Yes, that's the point. I, that, that, that's in spite of. That's the whole thing. It all has to be perfectly organized. It has to yeah. all be perfect. And I just don't think that New England can do that. It's just so difficult to do. Like, I, I don't even know if today you can replicate what Denver did in Super Bowl Fifty. I, I don't know that you can. Not mm-hmm. against the top flight quarterbacks that have come in. To this well, league. That was like, seven years think ago. about all of the things that have to go right for Cincinnati on their way to the, to the Super Bowl. They they're able to to beat Las Vegas. That game was close. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase make enough plays. They're on the road in Tennessee. Joe Burrow gets sacked nine times. They're down. Their defense makes a couple of plays, but they're able to find enough plays to to win that game. Then they're on the road in Kansas City. Huge underdog. They fall behind by eighteen. The defense steps up. The running game gets going. Cincinnati had to play from behind in at least you know in two games on the road on their way to this Super Bowl. Mac Jones has not shown an ability to win those games. And it's never going to be even. It's never going to be perfect when you have to win three games to get to that destination of being in the Super Bowl or four if you want to win it. You're going to have to play from behind. There are going to be teams that will match up with you well. Kansas City certainly matches up with Cincinnati well. Tennessee matched up with Cincinnati well. They've got a really good pass rush, and they put a lot of pressure on Cincinnati's offensive line and what they want to do offensively. So there are going to be teams that will match up and take certain things away. To me, the mark of a good team and a team that is able to get to the Super Bowl, why the Rams and why the Bengals are here, they can win in multiple ways. They, sh- they, they won a shootout against Kansas City in week 17, right? That, there's no defense being played. They play them a couple weeks later, their defense steps up and finds them a way to get to the Super Bowl. The Rams the same way. They can shut you down defensively. They can really take things over the top and score a bunch of points. The Patriots don't have those multiple ways to win with Mac Jones because they can't win the shootout. They they just can't. They they have to play right now. this certain script. I just I, And I don't see that changing. Right now. Right? I don't see that changing. But yesterday, or two days ago when we spoke with Greg Cassell, what he told us is that 
you can't label a quarterback a bust after one year. No one's labeling that. Jones okay, okay, okay. But to say right? that no, 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 no. he's got a limited ceiling but, yeah. but you said you can't call a quarterback a bust after one year. Yeah. And after one year, we're talking about Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes. You know, like the fact that we're having that conversation versus the Zach Wilson bust no first year. Like, what I'm saying is things can change. The Patriots roster is going to change. And listen, it's not going to happen overnight. But the fact that we're having these conversations, putting him in the likes of Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, I think is extremely encouraging. Look, Look, the, the no one is, is, no is doing that. We're not saying he's we're like that. We're doing it right here. We're, we're doing it right here. No, we're, we're not we're, saying we're he's bad. him to say that he's not good enough. He's not on that level. That's all we're saying. Yes. We're so trying long, to identify the, the circle difference. of all the people who are good, yes. and then Mac Jones yes. is over there. That's what we're no, doing. No, no, the, no. Largest, the largest <laughs> margin of victory for the Bengals this playoff was seven points, and the rest were three points, three points. Oh, now you're going to talk about the one game. The Patriots do not have what it takes to go head-to-head with the Titans, with the Chiefs, with the Oh, the tightest. How much I is mean, Bill Belichick paying you? How much? What is the size dude, of the wish, check I that he's sending he to defend Mac Jones? I wish he was paying I you. mean, look, I mean, Mac Jones, no one, you're saying it's not fair to have like this one year evaluation of a rookie quarterback. And I agree. I'm someone who says that all the time. Zach because, Wilson would be okay, lucky can, to be Mac can, Jones. Okay, that is just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He'd be lucky to be like, Patrick Mahomes, obviously, that'd be lucky. No one is lucky to be Mac Jones. No one is sitting there saying, <laughs> he's pro- I really he's hope I can be Mac oh, Jones. Oh, oh my it. God. Mike, 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 did you see that gritty he did, though? Uh, can, oh, yeah, six and a half. Six and a half. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 see the NFL Instagram. Anyway, did Zach do that? Zach Wilson can dunk on a regulation hoop. That we found out this week. All right, let me finish the point that I was making. 65 yards, Zach Wilson. Can I finish the Let me finish this point. The point is this. We're, we're, the, 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 I, I agree having the extreme conversation about a rookie quarterback is not fair. The boom-bust conversation saying mm-hmm. that Zach Wilson or Sam Darnold in a Jets perspective or you want to say Mac Jones, saying like a bust after one year is extreme or just instantly labeling Justin Herbert the next you know Tom Brady after one year is an extreme. But to have a nuanced conversation after one year like we are having about Mac Jones, that is not unfair. Because after one year, something you can figure out, you can kind of get a guess of, what is their ceiling? What is their limitation? And you also you just again, ceilings and limitations are things that don't require a lot of time to kind of analyze. Evaluating the actual play on the field in terms of boom bust, yeah, that, that, that takes a while. But I don't think I think regardless, of, like for example, you want to label Zach Wilson a bust? I think that's ridiculous. I wouldn't do that. But I think you can make a determination of what is his ceiling right now if everything goes right. Mac Jones, I agree, we can't label boom or bust. But I do think, as Nick has been saying, you can at least make a determination of what you think the best he can be. And, Jack, I, I don't think you can sit here. You're a smart guy. You know what's up. I don't Thank think you. you you're welcome. <laughs> I, I, I don't think you I, – I think you know this. You can't sit here and honestly think that I, – I don't know where this came from, but you can't honestly sit here and tell me that you think he could be in the level of a Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert. We're having two separate conversations, right? This other conversation didn't exist until two but we're, seconds we're ago. talking about – He's the guy who's on Twitter who's debating nobody. Like, everybody says <laughs> no, that Tom no, Brady no. isn't a Hall of Famer, but listen, I'm here listen, to tell you. You guys, all the you guys are the ones that, that bet. You guys took the bait, right? But the two conversations what we're bait? having is how good is Mac Jones going to be and can you win a Super Bowl with a good, not great quarterback? I think that Mac Jones could be, you know, like a slightly better version of Derek Carr. No, Derek that, Carr has too much athletic ability to be Mac Jones. All right. I mean, here's here's my thing with. I don't hate that comparison though. I mean, it's not the most absurd one to make. I will agree. Here's with that. here's my thing with Mac Jones. It's it's really more on the physical for me. It's yeah, like there's there's so many other things that that are involved. But think about again the adversity, the the things that certain teams can take away. I pay a lot of attention to Josh Allen, obviously. Are you but serious? think about 
think about what Josh Allen brings to the table against an opposing defense that can help the Bills win. The Bills did not have a running game for the better part of a year and a half. They were able to pick it up towards the end of the season. Defenses were stopping the Bills' run. Josh Allen gave them an ability to run the football. Their offensive line struggled at times. He gives them the ability to be mobile, to make plays off schedule. When you lose that battle up front in the pass rushing game, you're still able to make plays. Josh Allen can certainly sit in the pocket and sling it. He can do all of those things. Mac Jones obviously cannot. So when certain things go wrong, we were talking about the adversity, the matchups, certain teams present certain obstacles. If he matches up with a team that's going to beat the Patriots' offensive line, they lose because he can't do anything else. That, to me, is, is more of the conversation. It's the same thing with Patrick Mahomes. If the Chiefs get beat up front, it's a hard way to win, but you can win. He can run for his life. He can make plays. They can try and run the football. They can run him with the football. There are so many things that you can do to try and combat when you're outmatched. Mac Jones doesn't give you that ability, and I think that is the limitation. So then do you draft a quarterback strictly based off of physical tools? No, but you can't Because that's what you're saying them. with Allen. No, but no, that's not. No, that's but, not but it's, that, that is what I'm trying to illustrate in terms of the ceiling. It's why you need somebody who has such an incredibly high ceiling to allow you to do those types of things. It's why Trevor Lawrence, it's why Zach Wilson, it's why Trey Lance were the, the three – First the top three picks in the NFL draft a year ago. It's those types of guys who I'm not saying that Zach Wilson's good or bad. All I'm telling you is, is that he can do certainly not to the degree of, degree of what Josh Allen can do, but that mobility, that arm strength, those types of things that if the Jets, like they did a lot this season, get beat up front, he still has a chance to make other plays. That's what I'm saying. Lamar Jackson in the same way, those types of guys. Joe Burrow even, I think, one of the things that is lost about Burrow in his road to the Super Bowl, he's so much more mobile than people want to give him credit for. Especially mm-hmm. after that knee injury, too, and right. it hasn't slowed down. And See, Burrow in Burrow ceiling is endless to me, and I'm sure you guys might think the same, but after that knee injury, there was a lot of talk saying he'll never be what he was at LSU, and who knows if he'll ever be able to come back and be that athletic again. And he showed it this year that he is, and I just don't see Mac Jones, injury or not, being able to, to compete with someone of that caliber. I think what I'm learning from this conversation, I'm just thinking about, like, well, what about Aaron Rodgers? That's wrong. Uh, he's not great in the playoffs. What about Lamar Jackson? Uh, we haven't seen it yet. I guess what I'm starting to realize is, man, it is hard to win a Super Bowl. We saw what yeah. Mac Jones is yeah. in the playoffs, though. So many that's, things that's have to go right. Exactly. So that's, many things have to go that's right. That's why it's so difficult yes. to do it when you don't have a top-flight exactly. quarterback. Yep, 100%. That's it. I think he just talked himself. He talked himself. Yeah, he talked himself. <laughs> he, he can't get out. But listen, he listen. Can't get out. I, I just think I think that Mac. Jo- you, you're right. He has those physical limitations, but I think he's just going to keep on getting. Back. All right, look. Can I? Can we just put this on the table? I think a lot of people are just thinking this. Can we just all agree? I think a lot of Patriot fans. The reason why they're just so enamored with Mac Jones is because they think this. Oh, they had a great season. Twenty That's years why. ago, we had a. Uh, 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 this quarterback that couldn't move, and he wasn't that athletic. And then we won six Super Bowls. So Mac Jones could just be our next Tom Brady. They, they, so how they, did Tom Brady get so good? Because he played gonna... in a different era of football when you didn't Dude, need to be the Dude, he should have won MVP athletic. this year. What are you oh talking about? Oh, my God. Yeah, he's, you, different era of show football. Show me the quarterback that is like Tom Brady in the league today. There's no quarterback that plays like him. Mac Jones. <laughs> that, he just Again, he just proved my point. He we thinks go just because they're similar, we, Mac we, Jones is Tom we got to get out of here. 12.06 Pacific time here from the Los Angeles Convention Center on Saturday. Radio Row on the other side of this break. We talked to Super Bowl 50 champion, former Broncos linebacker, 
Brandon Marshall with some great insights about that Broncos team that we were referencing that had everything go right, not playing with that type fl- top flight quarterback play and still finding a way to a Super Bowl championship. Stick with us here on One on One. broadcaster for Fordham Women's Basketball on WFUV Sports. Stay locked in all season long on the WFUV Sports Spreaker page, where you can find our live broadcasts as well as an archive of games played earlier in the year. We come in the air 10 minutes before game time, offer up the one-on-one pregame, halftime, and postgame reports, in addition to covering all the game action. The Rams women's basketball team is an exciting group in pursuit of another A-10 championship. Join the action with WFUV Sports on Spreaker. Got some movement here. Brandon Marshall. Oh, my goodness. Brandon Marshall joining the show here on One on One. Brandon, we, we appreciate you taking some time. How are you? I like the Super Bowl right oh, yeah, by the yeah. way. You don't have to bring it, man. It's a <laughs> Super Bowl weekend. I want to show myself oh my off God. You know, the hard work and the dedication. You know, I mean. If you want to check it out, go ahead and check it out. Do you mind if I ask, uh, do you know how many diamonds are in that thing? You know what they told us? I forgot, <laughs> to be honest with you. I forgot. So, you know, I got to go back and look at the little certificate. The reason why I even ask is because I remember the Patriots, when they had that 28 to 3, yeah. they put 328 diamonds in, in the they? ring. Yes. That's fire. <laughs> so, I don't know if there are like 329 in that one. That's fire. No, no way. I think it's not. Definitely. I'm not sure how much. Wow, that thing is beautiful. Thanks, man. Congratulations. So you're a five-year member of the Denver Broncos, of course, winning in Super Bowl 50. What sticks out to you the most? Being back here for Super Bowl week, having gone through that experience, playing with Peyton Manning in, in his final ride and his final game even, yeah. you know, what, what jumps out to you about winning the Super Bowl? It's, it's something you dream of as a kid. What was that yeah. experience like? Um, you know, the, the whole experience. And to be honest, you know, I actually just did an interview with, uh, with Vernon Davis. He said, you know, that we dream of, of playing the Super Bowl. I never had that dream. I only I only dreamed of playing in the NFL yeah. and competing at the highest level. So going to the Super Bowl was like a bonus. It was almost like a, it, was, it was far-fetched. Right? I never even thought it was, it was obtainable. Um, so the first time we went, you know, we lost against Seattle, and I was on the sideline. I, I remember I, I was sitting, standing next to, to Champ Bailey, and I said, yo, yo, how many times have you been to the Super Bowl? And he said, it's my first time. I said, how many years have you played? He said, 14. I was like, that's crazy because – it's my second year. It's my first time, and I'm already going. You know, so going to the Super Bowl is is probably one of the most exhilarating feelings you can have. Not only that, is the way we went both times. We beat Tom Brady both times to go to the Super Bowl. Right, the goat. You look at Tom Brady like, oh, this this crazy figurehead. So we beat him to go to the Super Bowl, and the second time we went, um, it was just magical. It was it was it was like a movie. It was surreal. It was. A lot of stuff was in slow-mo almost, you know, and it was one of the greatest moments of my life. You were able to play in the Super Bowl as a 26-year-old, yeah. and you look at this Bengals team that has a lot of youth, yeah. most notably Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, two younger guys. I guess for you, and I understand it's not year one or two when you played, but I guess does that mentality change for them as guys that haven't really been in the playoffs before you know is that difficult for a younger guy a rookie second year guy to play on the biggest stage um i think it can be because so you know the first time we went we got blown out it was a lot of our first time playing 
in the Super Bowl. You know, Peyton was the only one really with experience. Maybe uh, Wes Welker played in as well. But we didn't handle that week properly. You know, it was just, it was just a lot. It was, it was a New York, bright lights. It was just a lot going on. But the second time we went, we had, we had been there, right? We already had been there. So um, most of our guys had experience. So I think we was able to take it all in, right, enjoy the experience, but just kind of just calm ourselves and understand the assignment. Like, okay, this is, you know, who we're playing. This is the game plan. This is what we got to do to come out on top. So I think it, it does matter. And so it's crazy because all throughout the playoffs, I'm like, well, Bengals don't have experience. Bengals don't have experience. It hasn't mattered, right? But we'll see if it matters uh, on Sunday. I was wondering what you've seen from Cincinnati in particular as a defensive guy. I mean, you're, you're used to, to going through the meetings, the defensive team, your, your game planning and trying to attack the weapons that other teams have. And Jamar Chase as a rookie, a guy who's had almost unprecedented success. I mean, guys don't just walk into the NFL and play the way that he has throughout the duration of this season. Is there a way in your estimation that the Rams are going to be able to take him away or at least limit him? Because it seems like Cincinnati is doing an excellent job of, regardless of what opposing defenses are doing, he's getting involved anyway. Yeah, I mean, um, it's crazy because he, you know, Joe Burrow got sacked nine times against the Titans, and they still won the game. Yeah. Right? I think it all starts with the trenches. If the Rams could put pressure, and the Rams' front is special, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, Bob Miller, if they could really get to Joe Burrow, I think that is the best neutralizer for Jamar Chase. Now, do the Rams have good DBs? Absolutely. You know, Jalen Ramsey is all world. But when you put that pressure on Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase doesn't have time to necessarily get in into his route, I think, you know, because Burrow's on the move, I think that's the best way they can win. Now, Jamar Chase is a great deep threat, right? So, you know, whether you want to do a safety roll, a safety over the top and cover T. Higgins and, and uh, Tyler Boyd, you know, one-on-one or, or do some type of zone where you got to put somebody over the top of Jamar Chase because he is special. Now, a key player for this Rams team has been Aaron Donald, who they yeah. acquired through trade. And this may be a bit of a throwback. Von Miller. It, Von Miller. Did I speak? Yeah. Yeah. Von Miller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank right, you for right, correcting right. me. Former well, teammate of Brandon Marshall. Right, right. <laughs> I'm actually glad I misspoke because the two names, Aaron Donald and Von Miller, remind me yeah. when you on Twitter joked about Brandon Marshall, oh, Brandon yeah, yeah. Marshall, right. um, I'm just curious what that was like, kind of hearing your name. Not sure yeah. if it's your name, his name, yeah. and you know, it, it, just it happens to this day. Yeah, to this day, <laughs> to, to this day. I'm not even playing football right now, and it still happens. Um, you know, I get recognized, right? Or my name gets obviously my name gets recognized because mm -hmm. he's doing great things in TV. Um, some people know the, the distinction, but some people don't. So you know, I just try to have fun with it. I remember I was on my couch watching. Uh, I think he was playing with the Bears at the time. Watching Monday Night Football. Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got the article up yeah. about you joking on Twitter. I was literally just looking. I was like, okay, I'm going to have fun with this. I had nothing to do. Uh -huh. and I was just sitting in it. It was a dark room with a TV, and I just started going crazy on Twitter. And it was the funniest time uh, I've had on Twitter, man. It was great. You know, it happens a lot, but I just kind of laugh it off, to be honest with you. Uh, Brandon's actually a great guy. I know him. You know, he's, he's a great guy, special guy. So, you know. It kind of just helps elevate my name, too. So I, I'm not mad at it. He's successful. Does your experience with the Brandon Marshall, the Brandon Marshall connection, give you greater experience, greater respect for what Josh Allen was able to do to Josh Allen this oh, year? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He killed Josh Allen, which is like, well, <laughs> the Jags, Josh Allen killed the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen, which was wild. Um, so, yeah, you know, those connections, those names, it is funny. There you have it. That's, that, that is, I like that. So, 
Um, we, we previewed some of this stuff, and, and we've been talking Super Bowl, obviously, a, a great experience for you to be able to, to come back and, and experience this. What has Radio Row been like for you getting an opportunity to, to talk to any number of outlets and, and really outline your experience? I'd imagine it was a lot of fun, you know, yeah. walking down memory lane, thinking about the time that, that you were world champs. Yeah, it's a lot of fun because, you know, just – coming out on our, on our suits, right? We had our sweatsuits, the white sweatsuits. And then you had the, the, I forgot what that is called because you have the podiums. Certain players get on the podium, right? That's what Marshawn Lynch most famously said. I'm not here. I think that's what he said, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm just here, I, so, I don't, I'm just here so I don't get fined. You know, so, man, the Super Bowl is, I'm going to be honest, I miss the game. I miss it wholeheartedly. And being able to reach that pinnacle in sports, which the greatest game, because every other, what, every other sport they have a series. Okay, the greatest game, the most watched is the Super Bowl. So being able to relive those memories and those moments, uh, everything comes back. And, you know, it's more of those things, I, you know, not necessarily be sad that it's over, but be happy that it happened. Yeah. You know? As a guy that holds that ring, yeah. what piece of advice would you have, you know, for a player sitting right here on how to approach this game? Uh, you know, I would say, and as cliche as it sounds, it's true. You got to treat it like any other game, even though it's not. Okay. The intensity is going to be you know, higher. Your, your heart's going to be beating faster. I remember I was in good shape, but I feel like the first quarter I was tired. <laughs> I was really tired. And I don't know why, but probably because all the lights and all the adrenaline, and it was like Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. So try to attack it like it's every other game. Prepare the same, if not more. Um, don't overthink it, though. You know, you can't overthink it, man. You just got to go out there and play the game. So enjoy all the amenities. Enjoy everything that they give you guys. But – Got to lock in, man. At, at night, lock in. Look at your playbook. Watch film. Get your mind right. Guy who had a lot of success at the linebacker position. Is there somebody in the game right now at that spot that really impresses you? Uh, yeah, man. I like Logan Wilson. I think he's a, 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 a really outstanding player. He's athletic. Um, he's quick, man. He's a, he's a ball hawk as well. I, I think he has really good instincts. Just watching him. I know he came out of Wyoming and and uh, I'm a guy that, first of all, I've watched the NFL draft since I was a kid, yeah. not even knowing anybody, right? So I still watch the draft. And so the fact that I know, I knew who Logan Wilson was and where he came out because I just pay attention that much. So Logan, I think he'll be a, a spectacular player moving forward in his, in his, in his career, man. He's, he's special. So I think Logan could be uh, an X factor for the Bengals. Wrapping up here with former Broncos linebacker Brandon Marshall. Brandon, I'll get you, you know, out of here. Uh, on this one what is next for you is there a desire to continue to play what what are the opportunities what are you looking yeah. forward to in the future I mean you know if I could play I would love to you know last year I had two workouts with one with the 49ers and one with the Bears and my agent was fielding calls from you know a, a few teams last year just nobody just brought me in so mm. uh, except the Niners and the Bears in the springtime and, and that's okay you know uh, whatever's for me is for me so you know, I'm still trying to figure that out, you know, what, what, what my next path is. I, I do enjoy media. I love radio. I love doing TV. I've been doing the Raiders pregame show in Las Vegas. I truly enjoy that. Um, there's nothing like playing the game, but, you know, if it's my time to be done, then it's my time. So, uh, you know, maybe I'll move more in the media. We'll see how that goes. Well, I think you, you'd certainly have a future in it, and we appreciate you taking some time. What, whatever the uh, future may hold for you, certainly good luck with that. Brandon Marshall, appreciate you taking some time. Appreciate that.
You're listening to One on One, New York's longest-running sports call-in show on 90.7 FM, WFUV.org, and WFUVsports.org. Hour two of one-on-one from Radio Row here in Los Angeles. Day three, Nick DeLuca, Jack Roach, Mike Legan, Mike Messina in the hours leading up to Super Bowl 56. Coming your way tomorrow night between the Rams and the Bengals. So happy that you could stick with us throughout this show. And, and guys, some great insights from Brandon Marshall and really timely in talking about what it was like, that environment, to, to play in the Super Bowl, managing the emotion, and, and what's next for his NFL career. So we really appreciate Brandon spending some time with us. want to get into our Circle of Trust segment here, and we're going to go through a couple of key matchups for Super Bowl 56 and just talk about who we feel more comfortable with and I think there are a lot of intriguing matchups. Some tilted the Rams' way, others tilted the Bengals' way, but a couple of them in particular to me that stick out. The quarterback position, the coaching matchup between Sean McVay and Zach Taylor, two guys who used to to coach together with this Rams organization. And then you look at the wide receiver position. I think it's another intriguing matchup, You know who you're going to trust more heading in to Sunday, so I'll I'll start with this one. Quarterback, the most important position on the field. We got we just got done yapping at each other for for 25 <laughs> minutes about is is Mac Jones going to be a guy who's able to reach that caliber to take your team to a Super Bowl? We know how important it is, and Joe Burrow has been outstanding through this entire playoff run. A guy who has not been phased the moment has not been too big for him in his second year coming off the injury out of LSU, the former national champion, and he has just continued that success in the NFL postseason. And then Matthew Stafford on the other side, a longtime member of the Detroit Lions, did not have any playoff success, had not won a playoff game in his entire career before heading over to L.A. in the offseason trade. And what a world the difference it has made in this organization with Sean McVay Uh, but a guy who I think reasonably has some question to him, as does Joe Burrow being the young player and adjusting to this big moment. I'm curious who you guys are rolling with on Sunday from the quarterback matchup perspective. Yeah, you know, we're talking circle of trust. So, you know, the question is, who do I trust? And I trust Mac Jones. You know, I think he's (laughs) (laughs) No, I wouldn't trust Mac Jones to put together a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. No, I'm not not talking about it. All right, we're moving on. Uh, No, let's move on now to the real real conversation, the real quarterbacks. Uh, Yeah, I trust Joe Burrow, (laughs) as I said off the top of the show. Look, I think... I don't, I don't think he could be under uh, – Mike, I know you asked this question of Joe uh, at the media availability. You asked him, you know, does playing in the SEC environment with those those loud stadiums, which, look, I love the NFL. I prefer the NFL over college. This, but the, the fact is college stadiums are raucous, especially in the South, in the SEC. And for a quarterback to deal in that environment, a guy who won a national championship, look, I think that's a huge advantage for him. And, I'm, and I've said it a million times. I said it today. I said it on Thursday. I just think that Joe Burrow is a guy – you look. At, I know the memes and everything, but he's just—he's got ice in his veins. You can tell he's calm, cool, and collected. I go back to that Titans game the, uh, earlier in the playoffs, and you know he just kept getting 
sacked, get hit in the ground, tough hits, and he just kept getting back up. And obviously it wasn't a high-scoring game, but he still had a winning drive, got them in field goal range, they won the game. you got to give him some credit to keep getting up. It reminds me of the Eli Manning uh, NFC Championship game in 2011 against the 49ers when he kept getting you know, pounded into the dirt. And he kept going forward, and they won. And I, to me, that's what I, I think Joe Burrow is more talented than Eli Manning. Don't get me wrong, but that mentality that, that, that they never quit attitude and the calm under pressure that is huge in an environment like this where there's so many lights on you. And I think Joe Burrow, I, and I, I look, I like Matthew Stafford a lot. I think Matthew Stafford is a very underrated quarterback. I think he, you know, suffered from being in a bad environment in Detroit. He didn't really maximize his talents. Um, you know, I think it's been great for him to come out here to LA. That being said, I haven't been blown away by him in the playoffs. I think he's played well at times. I've made some mistakes as well. But I really like Joe Burrow in this game. And also, a little tidbit for you, there's only been two quarterbacks that have ever won a national championship and a Super Bowl. One is Joe Namath, and one is Joe Montana. Can I finish what I was saying? Can I finish what I was saying? Okay. One is Joe Namath, one is Joe Montana. I don't care what you want to say about any of those players. They were calm under pressure, and there also was named Joe. So, I mean, maybe Joe Burrow could be the third. Real quick, I'd like oh, to God. propose a rule. No more Mac Jones, no, no more a, Joe Namath. No, I don't negotiate with terrorists. Let's go ahead. <laughs> okay, let's, okay. Let's hear, your, let's hear your circle of trust. Joe Burrow has been incredible this whole season. Been great in the playoffs. Hasn't lost a game, a playoff game, college, high school, professional. And he's coming off the win at Arrowhead. Loudest stadium in the country. But we had a chance to sit down with Brandon Marshall, who told us about when those lights get bright, you get nervous, right? And obviously, it's a different story, Joe Burrow versus Brandon Marshall, right? Each player is different, and right now, Joe Burrow is the coolest guy on the planet. But to me, I'm taking the 13-year NFL veteran who's been through those tough times, who's been to the playoffs on three separate occasions with a terrible Detroit franchise, and now is here on the biggest stage with his Los Angeles team. You know, we, we can debate how much SoFi actually plays a factor into this game, but listen, it's where they played all year long. That's their home stadium. I'm taking the 13-year NFL veteran just from the perspective of the quarterback matchup who's had no playoff success though yeah, exactly and i mean he, he's won three games this year yeah but also we talk about you're saying the 13-year vet and that's great but what in that 13 years has he ever had a bright lights experience like this you know i don't if you're playing in detroit you're playing for teams that are winning four games a year the half full stadium i mean i get he has a lot of experience and when we talked about earlier on the show how important experience is uh but with that rams experience it was because they bid under the bright lights i don't think matthew stafford has ever been in a situation like this. And I just, look, I'm someone who likes known quantities. I like to be able to, to rely on things. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's a known quantity that Joe Burrow has proven. And also, let's keep this in mind. Nick mentioned this earlier in the week. Joe Burrow's a guy who spent a little extra time in college. He's a little bit, not that he's old, but he's older for a guy who got re- drafted so recently. You know, I think that maybe is a little part of it, too. I just, I, I, I appreciate that Stafford's a veteran. I, I think he's been through some tough times, which should help. But I don't think he's ever done anything that can compare him prepare him for being in the Super Bowl. Agreed, and he hasn't. There, there's been no point in his career that has he's been in this situation under the bright lights, whether it's his home field or not. He's never had the, the brightest stage in all of sports on him. I, I mean, neither has Joe Burrow, but obviously Joe Burrow is a national champion, never lost a playoff game, college, um, NFL. But what Joe Burrow brings to this team is that energy that they need. And, and look, I said it before, Matt Stafford almost – Lost the game to the Buccaneers down when they were up twenty-seven to three in the third quarter, and he made a lot of bad throws. He made could have uh, more balls could have been intercepted than they were, and I just don't trust Matt Stafford 
going down the field late in the game, making those plays that he needs. I see a lot of turnovers happen in this game by Matt Stafford, to be honest with you, and I just don't see, I don't have the trust in Matt Stafford that I do in Joe Burrow going into this game in, in order for them to win. And that's totally fair, but I just don't think that the the college experience, that playoff experience, you can talk about the SEC, but listen, that's got nothing on the NFL. Of course. And Matthew Stafford, prior to this year, was on three separate teams that shouldn't have been there that made it to the playoffs. That's experience I mean, that, in that's, my that's, book. That's, that's, they, that's they, folded under, they folded under yeah. the bright lights. Yeah. But they just weren't good enough I to be there. what we've heard from most of our guests is that playoff experience is different from Super yes, Bowl experience, exactly. too. and. Where I land when we're discussing this topic is Matthew Stafford on a play-action pass, launching one down the field, 9.45 left in the NFC Championship game on first and 10, and Joukowsky Tart just drops that thing. Game's it's, over if he catches It's right that. into his bread basket, and he can't hold on. And That was just a mind-boggling throw from Matthew Stafford, who's made some of them at times. I just – Matthew Stafford is – I, I think it's it's fascinating to try and figure out what kind of quarterback Matthew Stafford is. And I think it's fair to say that he was hurt by everything that went on in Detroit. I mean, that's an organization that has not run well. But I still am not sure I fully understand how good Matthew Stafford is, even though he is in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I think Sean McVay does an excellent job. I think he's got a bunch of weapons around him that help him uh, immensely, I think his defense is really good, and he sometimes continues to, to be loose with the football and makes these mind-boggling decisions. And he reminds me, actually, of Matt Ryan a little bit. Mm. And it's it's that same type of thing. He just wasn't Matt Ryan. This is wasn't saddled with that same albatross of an organization that Detroit has been for the last 20, 25 years, whatever you want to call it. But it's those same up-and-down stretches. It's those same questionable decisions, guys, who you feel like, in my opinion, should have a better handle on what they're looking at from defenses. Because they're veteran, they shouldn't be making these same types of mistakes. And he, he did in that game. And fortunately for him, the 49ers let him back into it because Tart's not able to, to come away with the interception. But I think the answer has to be Joe Burrow, and it's more just who's the better player. I think both of them don't have the experience, so who am I trusting because who's the better player? It's Joe Burrow, and it's Joe Burrow who has continued to rise to the occasion in all of these moments. And I think that is different from saying that I think that the Bengals are going to win. And we've talked about how crucial quarterback play is going to be. I'm not sure that Joe Burrow is so much better than Matthew Stafford that the better team with the Rams can't eventually come out and and win this game especially playing in their home stadium but I I think there's no choice but to trust Joe Burrow more because Matthew Stafford has certainly given you reason not to at times. Matt Stafford has thrown 17 interceptions this season that's third most in his career so I mean nothing's really changed with him I mean yeah he's on a better team they're obviously in the Super Bowl but that's something that has been a problem his entire career his first year in the league 20 interceptions and it's kind of just been at that level the entire time and I can see that continuing going on tomorrow I mean he's, look he's my, Hall of Famer I mean he's, well, he's been no a great quarterback. Uh, I mean look I, I I've heard this I've heard this to quite well first That's up in the air I think real for, real quick to, to Mike's point I think Mike made a great point actually combine it with Nick's you know Nick just said not me he thinks, I, I make no good points. Well, I mean the three, the three of us are on one side of this argument so that's why I'm playing off of them but the point is this 
Nick said, you know, he thinks Stafford is Matt Ryan. And then, Mike, you mentioned the fact that he almost blew what essentially was a 28-3, to you know, the same thing at that Atlanta Super Bowl. And, you know, you combine those two facts. And, again, I just don't know if I trust Stafford in a clutch situation. And and this is a different argument about this gets outside a circle of trust. Now it's like Stafford as a player. Look, Stafford, is I think, is in the hall of very good. He's a very good player. If he wins, I'll tell you this, if Stafford wins the Super Bowl tomorrow and he maybe gets Super Bowl MVP – then I think it's very, very likely that he, he could be a Hall of Famer. That being said, I just don't – I've never looked at Stafford as – so a lot of times with the Hall of Fame, and this is just me, and I, I could be wrong on this, I think a lot of times with the NFL Hall of Fame or really anything, I guess, a Pro Football Hall of Fame, excuse me, it's it's a, a gut feel. It's like you, you – it, obviously you can look at the stats and you can do all that. It's obviously important. But at the end of the day, you need to also be able to say, is this guy really a Hall of Famer? And I don't know if in my gut, and I think a lot of people really feel this way, you know, is Stafford a Hall of Famer? I think if he wins the Super Bowl tomorrow, and I think if he wins the MVP and he plays a few more years in L.A. and has a lot of success, then, yeah, I think you, he can maybe lock that up. But, you know, I compare him to, for example, let's say he doesn't win tomorrow. Then I then I want to compare him to other Hall of Fame quarterbacks that didn't win a Super Bowl. You want to talk about Dan Fouts, Dan Marino. You want to talk about Phillip Rivers, who I think is going to get in and I think he is should. deserving yeah. based on the stats. You know, you compare Stafford to guys like that. Is Stafford at his height, was he as good as any of those guys? I don't think so. I mean, look, Phil Simms isn't in the Hall of Fame. The guy's a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. Boomer Esiason never won a Super Bowl. He arguably had a better career than Matthew Stafford is. I get comparing different eras is hard, but I just find that Stafford is not a guy, like Philip Rivers, for example, who had enough success consistently to get in without a Super Bowl victory. Listen, guys, Stafford just didn't have the talent in Detroit, right? You play with Megatron, but he never had a team good enough to, to really make – a you know contending effort right where do you gain that trust with him then because in year one he's in the super bowl in year one in la he's taken that team to the super Bowl. but also this is a team that went to the super bowl three years ago with a quarterback who we now know to be incredibly subpar and we can at least agree that stafford is slightly better so how much is this really the fact that stafford is just that great or he's just on a loaded team and he can just i mean if jared goff can take essentially the same team i know obviously brandon cooks is on the team and odell beckham is here now and there's there's differences But if Jared Goff can take that team to the Super Bowl, is it really a sign of how great Matthew Stafford is if he can do the same thing? Well, well, they also had, you know, an incredible Todd Gurley season that you just don't have on this Rams team. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely fair. The other thing I will say— There's a good point you were looking for. The the, the only thing that I (laughs) I will say here is that the consensus— in this Super Bowl from a number of people is that you should trust Joe Burrow more, which I, I, going in, do support. It's not unfair to say that Joe Burrow didn't, on the whole, play that well against Kansas City. Yeah. I don't think that's insane. Now, the Chiefs really, I I don't even know what happened in the second half to their offense, but this was a team that got shut down the first half. And if not for an outstanding defensive performance from Cincinnati, we're not talking about them being in this Super Bowl. So I do think that it's it's worth noting that as much as you want to trust what they are doing and, and Joe Burrow, as great as he's been, and his you know cool, calm, and collected demeanor, they really are here because of their defense, at least in the AFC Championship game. And a lot of props to what he was able to do in the divisional round to get back up, getting sacked nine times. But you know, it's not to be lost that Cincinnati's the rest of Cincinnati's team is playing some good football right now too. And you know, Joe Burrow at times has been shut down too. That's that's also been been something that's happened. I don't really think 
Joe Burrow even really played that bad. 23 for 38, 250 yards, two TDs, and an interception. So so I think he did contribute a lot to that win. But I, was, I wanted to say before, I can see this game coming down to the last couple seconds, 45 seconds. And you remember what Jimmy G did against the Rams, kind of just tossed the ball, interception. I can see Matt Stafford kind of doing something like that, not really scrambling out of the pocket, not throwing it away. I can see him just kind of throwing it in the air, getting intercepted, and I just see that out of Matt Stafford right now. Yeah, I mean, I, Mike, I think that's a good point. I mean, that, that Garoppolo, I mean, that was that was an ugly, ugly play, that interception. I mean, it wasn't just throwing it in the air. He's, like, he's getting twisted around and all, all that stuff. You know, my other thing is this, and I think it's hard not to talk about this other circle of trust when you're talking quarterbacks. Because, look, I think we can – I think we can debate all day Stafford versus Burrow, and then you can have a Stafford Hall of Fame debate, which I think needs to be had at the end of his career, especially after Sunday. To me, another thing that I kind of want to compare here, and I know it's harder to do as a collective unit. Um, maybe you want to break it more in terms of uh, like specific groups within the defense. But you know, who do you, at the end of the day, Mike, you mentioned you think this game's going to come down to the final seconds. To me, that means a defensive stand. And, you know, which of these two defenses do you really trust right now? And for me, and I'll be honest, look, the, the Rams, they got they got all the flashy names. Vaughn Miller, you know, uh, Aaron Donald. They got um, Leonard Floyd, who I think gets slept on. He's coming off the edge, too. Uh, then you look at a guy like Eric Weddle coming out of retirement. He can still play. You know, Jalen Ramsey in the secondary. That, those are some flashy big-time names for a defense. And you and you look at the Bengals, they don't have that. I mean, they have Eli Apple at corner, Trey Hendrickson on the defensive right line. pretty Eli Apple. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to me, it's funny. I don't know what it is, but I was, and I mentioned this on Thursday, I was just so impressed by that Bengals defense in the second half against Kansas City. To me, I had never seen a team shut down the Chiefs that way. The only other team I'd seen do that was the, the, the Bucks in the Super Bowl uh, last year. It seems ever since Mahomes has taken over at quarterback for the Chiefs, I don't care if they ever started off slow, that Chiefs offense always gets rolling. And it wasn't until the Super Bowl last year where I finally saw a team actually shut them down. And then I saw the Bengals do it again in the AFC Championship game. And to me, if you can s- shut down that Chiefs offense, and I, and I think the Rams arguably have a comparable, and you can say what's better, I don't know. I think you have a shot to shut down anyone. And, you know, I think I, if I had to choose a defense that I'm kind of relying on right now to make a final stand, as crazy as it sounds, I get there's a huge mismatch in the offensive line of the Bengals versus the D-line of the Rams. That is a huge – I'm not underestimating that. But, again, I just – I can't help but be so impressed by what they did to the Chiefs. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm big on the, the Bengals' defense right now. Yeah. I, I think the Rams have a much better defense, better defensive line, better offensive line. But if you look, like you said, what they did against the Chiefs, how can you count them out of any other exactly. opponent in the NFL? They're, they're up against – Arguably one of the best offenses that that they have seen, one of the most electric quarterbacks in Patrick Mahomes, and they shut him down when they needed to. So there's you really cannot count out this Bengals defense, no matter the players they have, no matter what analyst is saying what. They stepped up big time when they needed to, and that goes a long way. They've been impressive, but I'm trusting the Rams defense more. I mean, they've got the the better players, of course. Yeah, of so course. that that to me is a big deal. Again, and maybe even in the context of this game, Von Miller's been there, done that Super Bowl Fifty MVP, and and still getting it done at his age off the edge, and with Floyd in the fold as well. Aaron Donald, like all the attention that these guys draw from opposing offensive lines, and in in particular in this game against a subpar offensive line, they're going to see from Cincinnati. I just think it's going to be tough for the Bengals to maneuver through this whole thing with, with how good this Rams defense has proven to be. And with Jalen Ramsey on the outside, we're talking about proven commodities. We want to see consistent production for years upon years, stacked on years. And that's that's what the Rams have been. I mean, the Rams have been a consistently good defense with, with the pieces that they have. And 
it, it's not always perfect. They have had their ups and downs, as all teams do. I think it's hard in today's NFL to really control the way that you know the, the way you play defense. I think a lot of it has to do with you know if a defense does everything right and an offense does everything right, it's like basketball. You know, there's if you, there's no way if you have a great score to stop them. You know, you can play good defense, you can still score. In football, I think it's the same way. If you've got a great offense, if you've got a great quarterback, you can still find ways to score. And nobody pitches a shutout every time that they take the field. So. I do trust that the Rams, despite some of the up and downs, just with the personnel that they have, they are the better unit, and, and I'd expect them to go out and show that on Sunday. And, and if we're talking about which team is going to make a stop at the end of the game, I'm going to take the team that has those big names, right. that has those star players that have made those plays before. And obviously it changes when you're in the Super Bowl, but just based off of past performance – you know, I'm not shocked if I see a Jalen Ramsey pick at the end of the game. I'm not shocked if I see an Aaron Donald, Von Miller sack. You or, know, so. or if you see Jalen Ramsey get burned by Mike Evans for a touchdown. I mean, it happened. <laughs> he, he's complaining all game that, that the other the other cornerback isn't covering him good enough. He goes over there, first pass, touchdown, beats him. Yep. So you, you never know. I mean, Eli, look, Apple, look, Eli Apple's gotten burned. I mean, I'll say, I, I, oh, I, yeah. I, will, I will say this. You know, I think we have two very talented wide receiver rooms on both teams here. I, I think it could be a high-scoring game because uh, the thing is this. I'm concerned about the Bengals' O-line because, you know, obviously we mentioned that Titans game already, the nine sacks. This Rams pass rush is insane. I don't know how many times Joe Burrow is going to get sacked, probably a lot. But if you give him time, the Bengals' wide receiver room, I mean, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, I mean, this is I, – I trust these guys. you got Joe Mixon out of the backfield, and I, I get the Rams of OBJ and Cooper Cup, but – I don't know. I feel like if you can just give Joe Burrow a little bit of time, and I, like I said earlier, Joe Burrow just has that no-quit attitude, keeps getting up, you know, he, he doesn't stop. I just find that, to me, and we're going to do picks later on, but we'll get to all that, and I, and, and I get on paper. If we're going by paper, we're going by logic. I think it's pretty obvious who should be the favorited, you know, offense, defense, pass, rush, O-line. I think a lot of it's skewing towards the Rams, but I think – you have to look at results, and I think the the Bengals and I get they haven't played a team like the Rams. You know, the Chiefs are very good, um, but obviously they're different. They're different in a lot of ways. But I I can't help but have kind of a gut on this about you know about what I what I expect of this Bengals team. I don't know. I think it's going to be a great game for the Bengals wide receivers, but I feel like Joe Mixon's going to have a tough time getting through that line, get finding those holes, and I think he's going to be used more as a blocker for Joe Burrow because obviously mm. Donald's going to be coming yeah. coming around the edge. He's going to be doing really whatever he wants. So I think it's going to be a huge game for these wide receivers, but Joe Mixon's kind of going to get shut down, I think. Yeah, they're going to have to get creative with the protections and trying to mitigate some of that excellent pass rush. In that same vein, we're talking about up front. Now we got to go to the weapons. Who are we trusting more, the wide receivers, Bengals, Rams, those weapons at the disposals of the quarterbacks? I mean, look, I, I kind of just teased it there. I, there's something sneaky about this Bengals wide receiver room, and I, I, I want to go with this. Jamar Chase, who obviously is probably going to be lining up against Jalen Ramsey most of the day. I mean, we'll see what the Rams do defensively in terms of if they're going to have Ramsey follow him or you know be more selective about that kind of stuff. I don't know. Jamar Chase, and I get he's a rookie, and it's different for him. And you know, I, I can't, but I can't underestimate that Joe Burrow connection. I mean, they they played together in college. 
They have been electric together this year in the NFL. You know, it's funny to me. I think back to preseason training camp. There were those reports out of Cincinnati that, you know, Jamar Chase was having trouble seeing the ball. The white line on the He was like, yeah, the white line not being there was killing him, you know, and people were starting to panic. (laughs) I remember he fell in my fantasy draft. I was actually able to get him because, like. I had him as well. You know, because people were concerned. And I was like, look, (laughs) at the end of the day, this guy was a baller in college. He knows Joe Burrow. And that's what played out. They have a great connection. And. I don't know. It, it, to me, the wide receiver room is probably where these two teams are the most evenly matched. We did have a discussion, though, on Thursday. Maybe it was on the air or off the air. I don't remember. We, we talk so much sports down uh, in here in California. Um, whether or not Cooper Cup is the best wide receiver in the NFL, or at least he's in the conversation. I mean, when you have him, and then you have OBJ, who was at one time one of the best. I think he's kind of, you know, not that he's lost a step, but at the, getting washed away in the, the Brown situation. I don't know. I, 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 it's very, I, I can't make a decision. I don't know. I want to go Bengals, but I, on paper, it's the Rams. I don't know. If you're talking strictly about you know physical ability, talent, I don't think that Cooper Cup's the best receiver in the league. No. But in the system that he's in, he had the best season, and it's not even close. And he didn't even get the opportunity to play with Odell Beckham for the majority of the season, yeah. who has you know looked like he was with the Giants. I mean, he's played... He's made the most of his opportunity, you know, and he's going to get a contract because of it. I think that Cooper Cup thrives in this system. They're only getting better, and I think because of that, I'm definitely taking the Rams receiver core over the Bengals. And imagine if Robert Woods was still in that rotation right there. That's I mean, incredible. I would be interested to see how Odell would function if Robert Woods was still here because then you're talking about three guys that need targets. Would Odell What about the Bengals, be as Yeah, but I'm talking about Odell specifically in terms of his mm. personality because we know in the past there have been issues about targets and you know being a team player. He's been great so far in L.A. Props to him. Doesn't seem to have been any issues, but... Next year, he said he'd take a pay cut to come back to the Rams. Uh, at least that's what I read, I think. So I'd be interested to see how would it work with Robert Woods healthy. Then you got three guys that need the ball. I don't know. Look, I, I think Odell's better than Tyler Gordon. and I think he's better than T. Higgins. Um, I, I, to me, I think him and Jamar Chase are kind of matched up evenly well right now. But I don't know. It, on paper, like you guys said, it's the Rams. They have a better receiving core. They have a better offense in general. But I've been riding with the Bengals this entire time. I love that connection that Joe Burrow has with – uh, Jamar Chase, and, and he can really connect on him, connect with him anytime he wants. And I do have a prop bet that I like for one of those two, so we'll get, we'll get to that a little later. But I'm going to ride with the Bengals here. I think they're going to be able to to get the ball. Joe Burrow is going to be able to get the ball to either one of his three receivers, really, whenever he wants, um, and, and even hit Joe Mixon out on a screen or anything like that. So and they can block from. I think it's going to be a good game for the Bengals here. Certainly, be sure to stay tuned. Mike Wasino will be outlining all his favorite prop bets as we continue here on one-on-one from Radio Row. I am inclined to think that the Rams at the high end have the better receivers, right? You, you look at that matchup and how good a year that Cooper Cup has had and the name Odell Beckham Jr. and, and the flashiness to both of those guys and, and just how great a season that the two of them once paired together have had. I mean, it's been an incredible run. But I think that Jamar Chase has been so good that it can't be lost, that he is not taking a backseat to anybody in any receiver matchup throughout the NFL. What he has done has been so incredibly impressive as a rookie in the NFL. And then you pair him with T. Higgins, who is a top-flight player coming out of college at at Clemson. And what those guys bring to the table. Tyler Boyd is another guy who can get open. And Does does a tight end count as a wide receiver? I don't know. C.J. Uzama is a guy who's been so crucial to what – the Bengals have accomplished throughout 
the most of this, you know, late into the regular season and then into the postseason, of course, leaving due to injury against Kansas City. There's a tendency to think, oh, the, the, the Rams are able to beat you at the high end. But at the same time, I, I don't think that Jamar Chase, as good as he has been, takes a backseat to anybody. I'm just not there right now. And I think depth-wise, the Bengals actually have, have a deeper wide receiver room. I just I feel like the connection and part of this also goes back to the quarterback that you, you trust a little bit more, hard to do this independently. I think I might be leaning Bengals wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fair point, but we have a call right now, if I'm not mistaken. Alex Wolves, our producer, just said in my ear that Tom from Manhattan's on the line. Tom, what's going on? What can we do for you today here on One on One? What's up, fellas? I'm a great fan of the show. Uh, I watch every week. Uh, listen, uh, you guys are great. Um, shout out Jack Roach. That guy's sick. He's been uh, all over the news. Uh, but, yeah, so, I mean, basic question. We've seen how sports betting has gotten, like, huge. And you see, like, you know, all the, like, the Manning brothers are all on, on these commercials. You know, J.B. Smoove. Um, it's a lot of big names. Uh, what do you guys think about the sports betting industry, how it's kind of taken over? Are you guys placing bets on the Super Bowl? Uh, what kind of bets are you looking at? Um, just tell me about your betting. Hey, Jack. Is there a question in here, Quicks? Yeah. yeah, that was the question. The question is, uh, what do you I think know, about another, another clown. Okay, I get lost. Yeah, exactly. He waited, he, he waited on the phone for an he, hour he to ask that question. He waited on the phone for an hour to say that. Okay. I mean, you don't have to come uh, in. Cut his mic. Cut his mic. Cut his mic. We were, we were debating first day how long it would take for the Francesca impression to come out. Here it is. There it is. Exactly. <laughs> Quiggs, you called at the wrong time. We have a prop segment coming up in about 30 minutes. I mean, should we, should we go to it? Uh, no, so so no. here's the thing. I, I, I appreciate the question, Quiggs, and I, I think that most people, it's the most bet on sporting event of, of you know, the year. It's, it's just what draws the most attention. So, yes, I think that everybody in some form or another is betting on the Super Bowl, whether it's, you know, the, the way that you would bet on a traditional sporting event now with, with sports betting becoming legal in New York State, you know, it's, it's become more prevalent. But I think in some way, you know, whether it's you're, you're in a pool or you're doing Super Bowl squares or, you know, whatever it is, I, I would imagine that that is certainly more a part of, of this environment. It's hard to ignore it. I mean, you've got the FanDuel Sportsbook here. You see JB Smoove on every commercial. I go to the bat, I see the DraftKings guy. Like, it, it's just. It's hard to ignore it, and it's become such um, an integral part of the sport at this point. So, you know, I, I don't know if I can personally reveal any of, uh, you know, picks or, you know, we were going to get to some of these things later, but I, I think that it is so essential to football right now. I just find it hilarious to me that the NFL for years, for years, was against legalized betting on, on its league outside of, you know, Vegas or whatever. You know, they, they, they refused to get a uh, deal with the gambling companies. They wanted nothing to do with it. They, were, they went to court to try to stop these companies. And I don't know what it was. I mean, obviously, money talks. I think that's probably the main reason. You know, suddenly they are just – they have completely embraced the, the gambling. They're all over it. Gambling is honestly the, probably their biggest – you know, the FanDuel – uh, DraftKings, whatever. It's probably one of their, one of if not their biggest sponsors are those gambling companies. Uh, it, to me, it, it's just crazy the 180 they've done. But that's the NFL for you. They're completely inconsistent. They flip flop on everything, and you know it's uh, that's that's a debate for another time. But look, I, I don't. And the other thing, the other interesting thing to talk about is this. You know, 
in light of the, the the Brian Flores lawsuit, I think the main focus was rightfully so about the racial discrimination and all, everything that was going on there. The part that I mean, it got play, but I think it's kind of died down since. Not enough. Yeah. Is the idea that the owner um, of the Dolphins, Stephen Ross. Stephen Ross. Thank you. He was paying or allegedly offering Brian Flores a hundred thousand dollars per every every loss he had as head coach of the Dolphins first year because they were tanking and he wanted a high draft pick for a good quarterback. And obviously, Brian Flores, being a winner and competitor, was was not about that. And he and he, he has texts apparently that show the, the offer and documentation and all that. And knowing Stephen Ross, uh, other shady things that he's done in the past, you know, I, I've never been a fan of his personally, so I wouldn't be shocked. But my thing is this: you are the NFL. You're you're in bed with these gambling companies. Now you have one of your owners essentially paying, and it didn't happen for all intents and purposes, from what we understand. And obviously, it's hard to do lose on purpose, but. You have a guy, you have an owner paying a coach to lose. You know, how can you? It, that really messes with the gambling situation now because now you know obviously have odds and games. You know, what about people that bet on those games where they were being paid to lose? Then you have like, a, you know, I'm not saying it was fixed from a gambling. <laughs> have you bet but, on the Dolphins? Wait, so, you may be entitled to financial compensation. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they might have to, to refund a lot of money. We we thank by the way Thomas Quigley for for joining us here on one on one, our New York Rangers beat reporter. That's who that was calling us up, peeking our you know conversation here about sports gambling. To to me, that is a huge story in all of this, and and we can get into this a little bit, but obviously there's a lot off the field with Brian Flores, and and I think it's clear that there are certainly processes that are not yielding the results that, that everyone's looking for. So I think that's that's fair to say. But I, I agree with you 100%, Mike, in that that is also a huge issue here that I don't feel like is getting enough play. And maybe some people have mentioned it. I saw it a little bit on Twitter. But that is that is massive if that's true, right? How much how much money is is FanDuel giving the NFL, and and how much is that partnership worth? You know all that Caesar Sports. Yes, yeah, Caesar is the stuff. official sports. How, the however, NFL. however many, you know, uh, however many partnerships and and how huge this industry is. If this is corroborated, Stephen Ross should have to sell the team. Of course, yeah, he's 100%. gone. He is gone. If if they are if they can provide proof that he was actually trying to pay brian flores to lose because you just can't do it you cannot have this be such an emphasis with what you're you're doing and then turn around and have one of your owners compromising the integrity of the game i think if you want to even take it a step further this is something that the nfl needs to pay attention to with officiating people are going to stop betting on games if they aren't confident in the consistency with which yeah. it is officiated. I mean, if, if the officiating is so inconsistent, if it's a penalty one week and it's not the other and we're, we're calling taunting and the officials have so much of a hold over the game and how they're able to control it by what they call, what they don't call, th- this is massive. And, and it, it's an owner paying a coach to lose. It's officiating. It, it is a huge part of what the NFL is today. We always hear a term where letting, they're letting the players play. But at what point is letting them play going too far and kind of just taking over the game like you said, Nick? Because, yes, that takes a lot of money out of these gamblers' pockets because they're betting. Let, let's say they take – it's a four-point spread tomorrow. Let's say they take Bengals plus four. And down the stretch, Jamar Chase is going down the line, pass interference, very clear, doesn't get called Bengals uh, uh, Rams win the game. That – takes a ton of money out of these pockets of 
the people gambling on this game, and it's just nothing they can do about it because the refs decided to let them play. At what point is letting them play going a little too far instead of actually playing by the rules of football? Look, I, I got one, and this was one of the, the best games of the NFL season, if not the best, and it's the 13 seconds, it's the Bills and the Chiefs, mm-hmm. and everybody's talking about overtime, the coin flip, the Bills should have stopped them, and what were they doing, and why didn't they squib, and, and all of this stuff, and why are the Bills whining, and why are people so upset about overtime, and you know, just beat them in regulation or make a stop. And all those points, though I think, you know, well taken, I would disagree with some of them, but we don't need to get in get into that. I mean, I just, it's not about, the, there, there should be, it should be less arbitrary about how, you know, possession is determined in overtime in the playoffs. Even if it's the higher seed gets the ball, you wouldn't hear an argument from me. But what is not talked about in that game is that in the first half, the Bills were off the field against Kansas City on a Patrick Mahomes throw to the back corner of the end zone, and there was a pass interference penalty it was called. It was phantom. It was holding. There was, Bills were off the field. Kansas City was kicking a field goal. That's the difference in the game. And now I, I know that you don't want to, you know, does, does the rest of the game unfold in that exact way? I don't know. The Bills only needing to kick a field goal to tie on their last drive with 13 seconds when they score the touchdown might be more conservative. I mean, there are so many things that factor into the way that the game plays out. But that's something that that people certainly haven't talked about. That was four points that Kansas City got from that's just poor officiating. That doesn't make any sense with the way that the game was played that that had nothing to do with it. We're letting him play. And I think that that is something worth paying attention to is, again, we're, we're here for Super Bowl 56. Does that have an impact on the game tomorrow? That's a huge aspect of this, a huge element because of the control. When games are back and forth, when they're so closely contested, is is a call going to make a difference tomorrow? I, I, I don't know. And yeah. from, a, from a gambler's perspective, that's what they're going to go back and look at. They're not going to look at the 13 seconds. They're not going to look at anything that happened in overtime. They're going to look at that play you just mentioned and be like, this is the reason why I just lost my money. And it, it's crazy that it happens, but there's just nothing you can do about it. You see some sports books refunding money for certain plays that happen, cer- certain situations. But for the most part, they don't. And, and it comes down to plays like that. Bad calls by the refs costing everyone their money. And you never see a ref having to own up to the decision they made to call that flag. You never see them live on a press conference. They do, the, they do their press conferences, sure, but it's not aired, and then we just hear, see tweets about it. If we can see those refs on TV, given the reason why they made that flag, uh, threw that flag, sure, it still sucks, but at least we're getting a reason on why they didn't call that penalty or why they did call that penalty because, look, it's, it's costing people money, man. People work hard for the money. Yeah, gambling's a lot of fun. It makes the games more fun. But at one at some point, you have to think like, is it even worth it to even bet on any of these games because the refs kind of have it all in their favor and they can really do whatever they want out there. Look, for me, I, I'm not really a gambling guy. It's not really my thing. So, but, but I I agree with Mike saying with the with the refs and the gambling and all that. But to me, the, the the bigger discussion here is just the quality of the game itself. You know, just as a fan. I mean, look, obviously gambling makes up a huge portion portion of people who are invested in the NFL gamblers very invested in the league but I think even if you go beyond gambling obviously there are a lot of NFL fans and to me the refs in this league are slowly killing the product and we talk about you know under officiating the idea of letting the players play well how about the opposite effect where you have in the regular season the refs are too hands-on calling penalties doing things I mean roughing the passer calls I mean Great point with rubbing the passer. Look, I, I don't have the, I don't have the time right now to do it. I can go back in my Twitter feed. The number of times that I've tweeted out that the, the calls, and obviously look, I'm biased. I'm a Jet fan. That's what I'm. That's where I'm going to skew. But it's not even just me. I mean, you go to any team. I mean, it's it. It just seems to me that the refs at times 
they and I look, it could be wrong, and I don't want to like you know make accusations, but it just seems to me that they often want to be the center of attention on the field. They think that they. They, I don't think they think the people are there to see them, but they want some of that limelight. And you can see it. I mean, think about that guy, Gene Steratore, who obviously works for CBS now for the last few years as their, their NFL ref uh, expert, whatever. He's a clown. He, oh, I, I, the, number, <laughs> the number of times that he, they have him on and ask him, hey, Gene, what do you think is going to happen here? And the exact opposite happens is insane. But the point is this. I'll never forget. I think it was a game. I don't remember who was involved. I think it was the Raiders or something. There was like a fourth down play. It was like inches. They had to measure it. They bring out the chains. The index card. The index card. Mm-hmm. And he's holding that thing up, and he's laughing. He thinks it's like a big joke. Get lost. You. No one is here to see the zebras have a good time, throw their penalty flags. No one wants to see that. And think about the refs still in the, in the league today. I mean, you got Jerome Boger, and I wanted to bring this up. We got the Bengals playing today. How about that phantom whistle call, yep. Bengals yep. Raiders? If the ref, that's the other thing. It seems like half the time the refs don't know the rules. If they knew the rule book, they knew they should have known that phantom whistle, early whistle, that down should have been replayed, the touchdown shouldn't have counted. Well, guess what? Jerome Boger, who's always been another, another clown, he lets that go. He lets that go by. They, they it counts, and I'm not saying the Raiders would have won the game or anything, but I mean that matters. That's tangible. That's a touchdown right there that could have been taken off the board. And another guy, Tony Corrente. I mean, this is a guy who. I mean, he's a thousand years old. He can barely walk up and down the field, you know. And again, I remember it was a few weeks ago. He's like laughing because he has to leave the game. Like, all right, all right. Like, again, no one is here to see the refs. Can we get refs that are sub fifty years old who know how to jog? I mean, like, I, I, I hate well, the Mike. Mike, Mike, what what is like? We can sit here. Should, and we, call should out. we go through a checklist of all the NFL officials? <laughs> yeah, I gotta, will because I had to go to Mike's challenge. Too old to get Mike's. This guy's a clown. Too fat. Here's another clown. Okay. Here's my the, – the reality Hercules is got a ref. we can sit here Hockley and, and we can shit. bring up missed calls, you know, phantom whistles. We can bring up a hundred instances of it happening, right? But what's the solution? You know, you like get, what, what do you, you – you, you can't gotta, just say gotta, we got to get better refs because no, you, have, you, to improve, you de- have to – It's a detail-oriented job and you have to be detail-oriented yes. in a job where that's the most important thing. You yeah. can't be in a job that needs detail to, to be in it. And just blowing a random whistle. One, yes, Mike, you're right. That call should they should have replayed the down, but the whistle should have never been blown. Yeah. So they shouldn't have to replay the down. It sucks. But well, I didn't mean to cut you off, Mike. But I was just going to say, like to me, Jack, to answer your question, what do we do? Well, here's an example. How about we actually te- make sure they know the rule book? I mean, I mentioned we mentioned this whistle play. It's not even just that. The number of times that like, I've heard a ref on a hot mic, we've heard it a couple times where they like they huddle up and it's like, all right, what do we do here? Like they they actually don't know what they're doing it's half like the time. Game. And we need refs that know the playbook inside and out. We need, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to be ageist, but like, if we're going to have players that are like, you know, elite athletes running up down the field, I'm sorry, I don't think it's too much to ask that you have a ref who can like keep up with the speed of the game. And the other thing is this from what I understand, NFL referees, the reason why a lot of these refs then have other re- refereeing jobs or whatever, it's not a livable wage. You can't be an NFL ref and live off of that job solely through whatever the, the, the 17 game season playoffs, what, what have you. If we increase pay for the refs, maybe they'd be more committed to their jobs because they, it's a part-time job for them. They're not as committed. I don't really know. All I know is I don't think we can sit here and just accept that this officiating is bad. Because I'll say this, I don't – and, again, obviously I was younger or whatever, but I'll talk to people who are older than me who have a better memory of the past, whatever. Officiating, from what I understand, people who know have seen more football than I have, has never been this bad. 
multi-billion dollar industry and we still measure things with a stick and an orange chain That's what I yes. wanted to bring and up. index cards and otherwise so so officiating certainly something to pay attention to for this game just in the nfl in general we'll have to head to another break on the other side we sit down with nfl agent lee steinberg a lot of great insights with him about what comes next previewing his super bowl party and the nfl offseason stick with us here from radio row here on one-on-one You're listening to One on One, New York's longest-running sports call-in show on 90.7 FM, WFUV.org, and WFUVSports.org. And as Mike mentions, cap situations... (laughs) And free agents, it's a great time to bring on Lee Steinberg, NFL agent. Lee, we appreciate you taking some time with us here on Radio Row. First things first, how hectic a time is it for you after the Super Bowl getting all these contracts sorted out? <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, it's hectic this week. You got players in the game, but then uh, I throw my big Super Bowl party on Saturday. <laughs> so that's really our focus now is... Um, we're going to be at Sony Studios, and we have uh, um, a brain health summit. So I've been working on the concussion issue for years and years, and uh, we're exploring how to how to cure um, concussion and and how we've got neurologists from across the country. I had a crisis of conscience back in the in the. Late 80s, early 90s, players kept getting hit in the head, and and no one could tell us how many were too many of the rest. So we started holding conferences, and we'll hold the next one now. Uh, You know, Lee, obviously we're here at the Super Bowl. We're here at the L.A. Convention Center. You know, some of the players that you've represented played in some big Super Bowls, you know, Steve Young, Troy Aikman. When you think about how can you quantify what it means to a player's marketability, their value for them to get to the big game? I mean, you think about there have been some all-time great players, Dan Marino, or you want to talk about even someone like Odell Beckham Jr., who took until now to finally get here. We still think of them as these great, huge, marketable players, big contracts, but can you quantify like the difference it makes to actually get to the Super Bowl and then finally win one? Yes. If a player performs dramatically in this venue... Because you have so many people following it that don't follow ordinary football. They may not watch a game during the year, but they watch the Super Bowl. And because the numbers are so high, it allows a player who performs dramatically here and and on a winning team to transcend the narrow genre of hardcore sports fans and move into household name status. And that, that consists of 
of uh, late night and early morning talk shows and People Magazine and all the rest of it. So <clears throat> I remember years ago when Troy Aikman won his first Super Bowl. And I said, Troy, do you know what's happened? And he said, yeah, yeah, we won the game. I said, no. You entered the game as Troy Aikman, excellent quarterback, and you're leaving the game as Troy Aikman, superstar. And the marketing took off from there. Steve Young, same way. Um, Patrick Mahomes, we waited for a couple years, didn't do a lot of endorsements, and then, again, wins the Super Bowl, and off we go. So this is the biggest marketing event um, in American sports. What do you advise players when they have success in this type of environment, when all the eyes are on them to get the opportunity, you know, everywhere, whether it be, you know, marketing opportunities, you know, other outlets to go and, and be able to make themselves available to media and take advantage of those opportunities? What do you stress to them? <clears throat> that the engine pulls the train is success on the field so that you can't lose sight of the need to train and the need to stay grounded and all the rest of it. Um, but we're in a new age with social media and uh, players presenting themselves um, and the new currency is how many followers do you have on Twitter, how many followers yep. on Instagram. I mean, that's what sets the stage. So it's you want to uh, if you're successful, you want to have the fun and you want to have the excitement, but you want to keep balanced also. Lee, a player that you represented was Warren Moon, and I just wanted to know if there are any parallels that you see between his situation and what's going on with Brian Flores right now. Um, you know, it was 1978, and at that time there was a segment of uh, personnel in the NFL who thought that the so-called thinking positions which was quarterback, center, middle linebacker, that blacks didn't have the uh, aptitude for it or they didn't have the comfort factor with a black quarterback. And Warren went to Canada. And uh, now, as it worked out, he spent six years up there. He came back three leagues, negotiated against each other. He was a pure free agent. He signed the biggest contract in history. And he made the Hall of Fame. But... Um, it's incomprehensible to me that you would have 32 teams and out of them um, there are only two black head coaches. It's just uh, something is not functioning with the system the way it is and they need to make an analysis and figure out uh, how you can do merit-based selection that gives you more diversity. You know, Lee... You mentioned some of the bigger name clients that you've had, Troy Aikman, Steve Young, Patrick Holmes, guys that have had tremendous success in the NFL. Uh, but you also represented Ryan Leaf, who, of course, is one of the more you know, infamous, very high picks in his NFL career, or ultimately didn't pan out, number two overall. Um, what's it like as an agent when you have a guy who comes into the NFL, is such a big name, everyone's expecting the world of him, and then for ultimately not to work out, I don't want to say fail, but not meet expectations, as an agent, what is that like, and you know, what is your perspective, and what is what, what would like to deal with all of that? The difficult thing, first of all, we profile clients, so we're looking for role models who will set up a high school, college, and professional uh, scholarship fund at the high school, give back at the college, charitable foundation. So we've raised almost nine hundred million dollars for charity. So you don't get a lot of situations that happen like Ryan. Yeah. 
problem there was as hard as we tried to to draw him out of his shell, he was resistant. And uh, he's here, and I've yeah. uh, talked to him, and, and he, when he started to get criticized, he felt like the world was against him, and he kept withdrawing and withdrawing and drawing, and it got worse and worse. Don't think we didn't try to bring in um, doctors and a variety of different people to help him, but at a certain point, it becomes beyond your power. And the good news about Ryan Leaf is that he's sober. He's uh, being a great role model for all sorts of people with those issues. And he's, um, um, at the end of the day, you know, back on television being an analyst. So it had a happy ending, but it was uh, terrifying for a while. Talking to NFL agent Lee Seinberg here. We appreciate you taking some time with us here on one-on-one curious for you as the Super Bowl wraps up head into the NFL offseason what is the process like when teams are contacting your clients trying to engage them and and eventually get their services and you know maybe somebody comes in with an offer that you can't believe and say no my guy's worth so much more than that so uh, if you're talking about free agency the what you want to do is lead the process. So you're not waiting until the season's over. You're already, if this is a player you think won't re-sign with the team, you're already looking for at rosters and places he could go and maybe talking a little bit to general managers and, and laying the foundation. Um, in free agency, unlike the draft, it's the free market. So if you have more than one bidder, than where a veteran negotiating to redo with the team, we're going to show stats, we're going to show comparisons, we're going to show everything to justify a figure. Um, in, in free agency, it's just uh, who will pay what and what's the largest figure. Now, money may not be the only criteria for a player. They may care about... Um, you know, being on a winning team, the quality of coaching, the geographical location, how good it is for their family. So not everybody, it's strictly that. But you sit with a player and you suss out what their priorities are. You know, Lee, I'm just interested as well. Obviously, it's Super Bowl week. We're talking football. That's the focus right now. But, you know, you very famously were involved in the effort to keep the San Francisco Giants in San Francisco. You played a hand in keeping the A's in Oakland. So obviously you have a bit of a baseball connection there. As you look at baseball, and I know we're doing football talk, but I think it's just a big story right now in sports in general, the relationship between owners and players. You look at the lockout that's going on right now. As an agent, when you look at a lockout situation, you know, obviously at the end of the day, your job is to help you know, your client make money. How much does a lock? Obviously, it's, it seems obvious, but you know, what kind of role does an agent play during a lockout? What do you do with your with clients at that time? You know, just do you have any thoughts on the current lockout situation? I don't, I don't know if you have anything to say about that. I think any type of labor strife that plays out publicly hurts the brand and pushes fans away because, look, they're not going to have empathy with millionaires fighting with billionaires. Um, And so that needs to be done quietly behind the scenes. And you would hope ahead of before when an actual lockout happens. So it's, it's a failure at, at any time. But 
hopefully this one gets over quickly because uh, as we start to get into later February, it's going to be the time that um, spring training uh, pitchers and other people uh, uh, end up showing up. And the minute that we actually start missing, uh, remember, we've been through a COVID pandemic yeah. time. And the exciting thing about baseball was that they had live crowds. <laughs> and so it's coming back. Um, I think it's dangerous to mess, mess with the uh, crowd, uh, with the fans in this way. Lee, appreciate you taking some time. One last one for you here. Uh, what is the most exciting part of this Super Bowl party? Um, <laughs> uh, being able to collapse after it. <laughs> the, um, uh, it's giving humanitarian awards. It's, it's um, uh, mixing... It's where you teach your young players how to network, how to spend five minutes with someone in a conversation, get their card. Um, uh, it's it's watching the rookies be part of pro football for the first time. You actually, Lee, I know Nick said he had that was the last question, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. It's rumored that you are the inspiration for Jerry Maguire, the, the Tom Cruise movie and the titular character. I'm just curious, you know, how much of the character is like you and do you find that that movie does a good job representing sports agency? I thought it humanized sports agents. Cameron Crowe called me up, the writer-director, in 1993 and asked if he could follow me around for the next couple of years. Well, I didn't think it would be two years, <laughs> but he could follow me around uh, to pick up atmosphere for a movie on the sports agent. And, and he went to the draft in 93 when Drew he went to the league meetings. He came to games with me. He spent time in my office. He went to the Super Bowl with me. And I told him stories, lots and lots of stories. So what parts of what he used is uh, between me and he. But, um, but then I was technical advisor, so I had to vet the script to make sure the willing suspension of disbelief that holds you in a motion picture didn't get broken. Yeah. And... Uh, then he assigned me the actors, like I had Cuban Gooding Jr., who I took oh. down to uh, the Phoenix Super Bowl and made him <laughs> pretend he was my client all week. <laughs> Method acting, and right. let me put it this way. It's been 25 years this year for that film, but still when I go to an airport or go out to dinner, someone's going to run up to the table and say <laughs> those four iconic words that money. start with, show me the money. There you go. Well, Lee, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And I'm glad we could talk a little bit about Jerry Maguire, because why not? Thank you so much, Lee. My pleasure. Thanks, Lee. Hey, everybody. I'm Colin Loughran. And I'm Tyler Mooney. And we're your two main hosts for WFUV Sports NHL Podcast 5 on 3. Here on 5 on 3, we will talk everything Rangers, Islanders, and Devils. We'll have all the news from around the NHL and keep you updated on the chase for the Stanley Cup. Alongside Colin and I, Chris Hennessy, Samantha Bohr, and Thomas Quigley help us out as hosts. You can find 5 on 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Home ice for all things NHL, 5 on 3. Coming up on the final 40 minutes here on day three from Radio Row, Nick DeLuca, Mike Messina, Mike Legan, 
and Jack Roach here with you from the Los Angeles Convention Center previewing Super Bowl 56, the Rams and the Bengals for all the marbles tomorrow night. Guys, we got into a number of different topics with Lee, and it was so great to get his insight on what's next for the NFL player in the offseason and some of the window into those negotiations, as well as touching on some of the Major League Baseball lockout situation and, uh, of course, some uh, you know movie references and otherwise just making sure I almost knocked I almost I almost knocked my uh, you know microphone off its hinges here and we've got another caller Mike want to talk about the Rams what's going on Mike Hey what's going on guys thanks for uh, taking my call here just want to talk a little bit about the Rams I mean obviously they got a loaded roster out there uh, in LA and you know Matt Stafford had a, a great great year and you know one of the best of his careers but I wanted to hear your guys' take on, you know, with the personnel that the Rams have, um, you know, do you think that Paul Crew would still be able to have the same success, you know, that, that Matt Stafford's showing? Paul Crew, wow. <laughs> he waited so long to, to make the phone call. We appreciate Another the call. clown. Yeah, oh, exactly. So for those Mike. who don't know, Paul Crew, of course, the quarterback of the, the mean machine from the longest yard played by Adam Sandler. So I, I, I would waited. Have, Three hours to say that. I would imagine that Adam Sandler, I I have not checked. I don't think that he can sling it uh, the way that Matthew Stafford can. You may have your questions about about Matthew Stafford, which are warranted, which are fair. I I think I would like my chances better if I've got Matthew Stafford under center than Adam Sandler. Why don't you go help somebody? Go go help the old lady cross the street. Okay, get lost. Listen, I I didn't know Stanley. Adam Sandler could do that, but I don't think Matthew Stafford could get a 31% on Rotten Tomatoes. Th- is, really? that with the, is that what it is? Yeah, Got it up right also, now. It's also a remake. So, what's the original's Rotten Tomato with uh, Burt Reynolds? Did you know that that it's a remake? We could check right now. He's what? the he's the running back too, right? In the movie in in the remake, Burt Reynolds. Yeah, I think no, so. No, Burt Reynolds is like the coach or the, the coach. The yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, he's I, I, way I too old to be the running back. No, no, no the, I know, but he yeah. goes in at the end of the movie. Uh, I haven't seen the movie in forever, so I couldn't tell. Yeah, you. Um, Mike, I, thanks for the call, but what is the with the roster this Rams team has? I think you could really put any quarterback, not any quarterback in the league, but majority of quarterbacks in this league in this Rams office, and they could have a season like Matt Stafford's having right now. Uh, I was I was distracted. I apologize. Roach was showing me the Rotten Tomatoes for the, the really? original. Seventy nine percent. But we've got this is an interesting an interesting development here. You're telling me that you think that any quarterback? No, no, not, not any. That, to- that most quarterbacks in the NFL can have success with this Rams roster. Uh, I, uh, I do think a good majority of the NFL. Unless there are, yeah. unless there are, <laughs> I got a question. Unless they are, Mac Mike, Jones. Are you going to say Mac Jones? Could Mac Jones be in the Mac Super Jones? Bowl no. right now? No. Okay, no. I agree. He's a rookie. No, yeah, maybe he next year. <laughs> maybe never. Uh, I mean, look, if Mike Glennon was quarterbacking this team, they'd still... starting quarterbacks, okay. not not backup quarterbacks. Uh, obviously. Man, I try to think like what. I mean, that's a good. That's honestly a good question. I mean. I don't really know. I mean, I, I think this team is – I just keep going back to the fact that Jared Goff, who has been firmly exposed as not being – he wasn't good before McVay got there. He was fine with McVay and has now been exposed again as being not very good. I just keep going back to the fact that they got there with him. So I, I – There we go. It's not early, though. I – again, that is true, but I well, – we're know, talking quarterbacks, not running we're, ta- we're just – I guess, but, I mean, listen, he had a real case know. for MVP that season. Like, that team was no joke. Excuse me, but actually what's his, I know it's hard to do. I, I know it's hard to yeah. do. Focus. But if we were to take the quarterbacks out of it, is mm-hmm. the roster that the Rams have this year better than 18? Yes. I think their pass rush Ooh. is better. 
Uh, I mean, look, they had the 18, they still had Dominican Sue, correct? So it was him, and they had, uh, obviously, Aaron Donald. But, I mean, look, Von Miller, I get he's not the same guy who was in that Super Bowl in 2015. But Jalen Ramsey was not on that 2018 Rams team. Uh, I mean, they had Marcus Peters, if I'm not mistaken, at the time. Yes. So, I mean, you, you can debate who you think is better. I think Jalen Ramsey is probably better. I mean, Odell, I would put Odell above Brandon Cooks. And, obviously, you had Robert Woods. Cooper Cup did not play in that 2018 Super Bowl. He had an ACL injury. Uh, I think the I think the look. There's obviously overlap. There are players that were on both teams, a decent number, but I think the strengths of both teams is kind of different. I think that 2018 team, uh, like Jack said, had Todd Gurley, who was fantastic. I do think, though. I mean, who knows what would happen if Cam Akers was healthy the whole year? That's what I'm saying. Cam Akers, yeah. Daryl Henderson, Sony Michelle. That's a three well, lead. Also, I, right I think that proves the point. If you're telling me that the Rams roster is better this year, that maybe Matthew Stafford isn't so special. Uh, yeah, still got to make so. it to the Super Bowl. Though. I mean, I've taken the Bengals in every way possible, so I'm not disagreeing with that right yeah. there. I think we've just established that Mac Jones is the worst quarterback to ever play in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, we I, we talk about. I mean, earlier I, I made the realization of how hard it is to win a Super Bowl, to make a Super Bowl, and here we are. And right, I'm sure a lot of guys envy the position that Matthew Stafford is in right now. But you still have to get there. You still have to make it happen. And he's made it happen. I mean, has it been him, though? That, that's that's a debate that we can have. Is It's like I said it earlier, and I, I know it sounds extreme like when I say win in spite of, not because of. But that's just more like a hip saying just to kind of say, like, get my point across. It's just like has Stafford in the, the games they played, whether it was Tampa or against um, San Francisco, was he the reason that the, the Rams won either of those games? And I don't think he was. So I I don't really think he deserves this credit for the Rams getting there. But, I think But ahead. was Joe Burrow the reason that the Bengals won? That's also won? fair. That's a fair point, too. I, I, I have to be honest. I think what you also have to give a quarterback credit for is not just the play on the field, but just the quarterback is your CEO. He's your leader. He's your – a lot of them are physically the captain with the C on the chest. He's the guy that you're looking just to. Just not Mac Jones. Just not Mac yeah. Jones. It's just, you know, when he's the guy you're looking to, when you're in that huddle, like the, the Bengals the Bengals trailed in all these games. And when you're in that huddle and you've you're, you got players, Bengals, rookie team, uh, a younger team, you got guys, you're in the huddle, you're not sure what to do, you're worried. Maybe your quarterback's your guy, you calm you down. Hey, we're going to go we're gonna go down the field right now, we're going to march down, we're going to score. And you've got to give quarterbacks credit for that. And I think whether or not Joe Burrow has played at elite level, I have to give him credit for being the, the guy that troops rally around. I don't know if Matthew Stafford – is that same guy. I think Matthew Stafford, is, he is the captain on the team. So, I mean, like, I don't think, I'm not saying he doesn't lead the guys, whatever, but I think the Rams are so different. They're such a veteran-heavy team. They know who to look to. They have guys with tons of experience. The, the Bengals are much more, a much younger team. So I, I think the fact that Burrow has stepped forward as a guy, he's got more people to lead, essentially, too, is what I'm saying. Like, you know, the Rams, I'm not saying they don't need a guy kind of rallying them, but, I mean, look, you got Andrew Whitworth, you got Aaron Donald, you got, uh, you know, Von Miller, these guys are very experienced players. You know, the Bengals, Jamar Chase, it's a rookie year. I mean, he's a guy. He's a human being after all. You know, I think he needs that support, and I think a lot of players – I mean, a lot of players on every team do, but i got to give Burrow credit for rallying the troops. But. I wish we still had Mike from Wappingers Falls on the line, starting quarterback <laughs> for the Sacred Heart Pioneers from 2014 to 2018 to see his perspective on, on this Matt Stafford situation. <laughs> I, I, you, you talk about the composition of – the teams. the teams, right, yeah. and the rosters. Mm-hmm. And Joe Burrow has certainly galvanized this Bengals team. But the Rams are a bit of an older team. They have more of that veteran presence. And I think having that experienced quarterback slide in 
makes him a good fit for this team. It makes him a good fit, but that's not the argument I'm making. The argument I'm making is that Burrow is very much a leader of men for that Bengals team. I don't know if Stafford's the same Maybe vocally. No, not I needed. think Stafford's we don't get to a leader. That. No, I think I he is, but yeah. I, think, I don't know how much... His leadership's obviously important, but you get what I'm saying? I think Burrow means no, I more to the Bengals I just think it's Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not even really about leadership. It's more about what, what your value is to the team. And, and it's, it's fair to say that Matthew Stafford is, by virtue of both his ability and what is around him, not necessarily the end-all, be-all to what the Rams do the way that Joe Burrow would be or some of the other teams in the NFL are. You know, we, we got done talking about the, the AFC quarterbacks a while ago, but it's, it's a similar conversation. You know, the, the Bills are not in the position that they are in as an organization without how good Josh Allen has been over the last couple of years. Mahomes the same way. Uh, you know, we saw what happened with Baltimore this season when Lamar Jackson went down for an extended period of time. And it, it was striking to see not only the way that their offense dropped off, but their defense was nowhere to be found. And is that something that just is deflating from a mentality perspective, what Lamar Jackson brings to the table as a leader in addition to being somebody who's just so talented on the field? And I, I, I question all of these things just because – it's it's actually a good place to be at times because Matthew Stafford is is not the centerpiece, but it's not because he's not good enough to be. You know, he was the centerpiece for Detroit for a long time, and and yes, they didn't have that same type of success. And I'm not trying to put Matthew Stafford up there with the elite of the elite quarterbacks. That's not how we categorize Matthew Stafford, but he is still a, a quality starting quarterback. He is a Super Bowl champion caliber quarterback and he is not the centerpiece of what you're doing, that's kudos to Les Snead and to Sean McVay for how they've built this roster around him. I mean, I, I agree. I agree. And I think it wouldn't be a good fit to have a younger quarterback come in to this team with all the veterans. You know, I, I think they definitely benefit from having a guy who's been there before and maybe wasn't able to find success in Detroit, but he's here now and... I mean, I think you guys mentioned he's the captain of the team. I mean, how many guys are able he's to come, a, He's a captain. A captain of the team. But how many guys are able to come in first year and become a captain? I believe we have a caller from Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, Chris, how's it going? Before Chris, I there? ask my question, I just wanted to say you guys have done a great job. Um, I've been listening uh, in Boston the last three days and uh, – uh, I've, I've listened to you guys on uh, FUV more than uh, Boston's uh, EEI and uh, 98.5. So great work, guys. Thank you. Is there a question, too, or just a compliment? Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, that's enough uh, praise for you guys. But um, <laughs> uh, Keep it coming. We'll take no, it. We'll take it. I mean, you know. Listen, the, my only criticism is the uh, – the uh, savage treatment of uh, Mac Jones, but um, oh, we, we knew that was coming. We knew that was coming. You know, I, I saw a uh, barstool sticker, and uh, uh, Jerry Thornton's probably the only guy uh, who's blindly more Pats fan than me. But uh, he did have uh, comparisons of um, Burrow's stats and, and Jones's, and uh, as rookies. Uh, and believe me, uh, uh, Burrow's is a superstar. Uh, I don't think Mac is on that trajectory, but um, Jones's uh, rookie numbers match up. So let's see where it goes. But um, um, I assume most of you guys are uh, New York fans. But um, 
Uh, I'll ask it, and you guys can talk about it when you get a chance. But uh, Giants, Jets, Patriots, what, what team of the three will be in the Super Bowl next? Ooh. Well, it's it, the that's, Patriots. That's because, an interesting question. I mean, I'll, I'll look, it pains me to say it. I think it is an interesting question. I mean, just I don't want to say it, but it'll be the Patriots just because at least as long as Belichick's the head coach. I mean, the Giants, I I, I, I put the Giants at the bottom of the list right now with all due respect to Giant fans. Yeah, I, I, mean, don't, I don't, but you, I disagree with that. You have, a, I mean, look, you have a brand-new head coach coming in there. You have a brand-new GM. You are in salary cap hell. Uh, you've. You, I'm not saying that the Jets and Giants have been each been two of the worst teams in the NFL the past five years, decade, whatever. Um, but but my thing is just to me with the Jets is they're just one year ahead of the Giants in terms of the rebuild. They have the younger guys. They they had a whole year. They started more rookies than pretty much every other team. Uh, so they have all the development for key positions, especially at quarterback. Um, your, your your head coach has a year of experience now. Your your GM Joe Douglas knocked it out of the park in the last draft. Michael Lafleur became a very solid OC I would say a pretty good OC to, at least as the season went on so my my whole point is I think the Gi- the Jets are just ahead of the Giants in terms of progress where they need to be you know I think with with the with the Giants the issue is like, not only the, the salary cap and you know who is staying around the, I think there needs to be I think I mean, the other issue is like I don't know who the Giants quarterback is going to be in the next you know there's not a plan with the Jets I, I can't sit here and tell you Oh, Zach Wilson will 100% be the Jets quarterback in five years. But I at least know they're going to try to groom him. He's going to try to be the guy. Right now, I mean, I think I don't, and I don't want to say, I don't speak for Giant fans, but I think there's a good portion of Giant fans, good pe- portion of people that watch the Giants that feel that Daniel Jones is just not the guy. I get he's had injuries and all that, and he's had bad situations. I know the Maras are committed to him, but I, I just don't see Daniel Jones being the long term answer at quarterback. And for for that reason alone, putting aside the fact that they can't sign anyone in because they need to rebuild, in my opinion, and they they, they haven't had the one year of the, the the cohesiveness with the GM and the coach, etc. I got to put the Jets just ahead of the Giants right now, and the Patriots. I got to put ahead of both of them just because it's the Patriots, and it's so proven otherwise with Belichick, who I mean I think has been exposed slightly with Brady leaving. That being said, there's no great coach that didn't have a great quarterback um, until Belichick retires, and they were a playoff team, even though they got shellacked. I, I put the Patriots top. So for me. I put Patriots one. I put the Jets two. I do think there's a gap there. I think the Jets and Giants are kind of in the same spot, but I just think given where they are in the timeline of things, I put the Jets ahead of the Giants. The final half hour of this show is really taking on a Godfather three feel. You know, <laughs> we think we're out, and then they are just pulling wait, us right but, back but, in. I, but Godfather three is the worst one. Are we say we're having a terrible third hour? No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it has the Godfather three right, feel. Well, that's I fair thought enough. I was out. I'm, that's, I'm just referencing enough. that part of that's it. That's fair enough. But um, I, I guess – to me, like I'm not even sure how to answer that question because the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, am I going to live long enough for any of these teams? To <laughs> oh, come on, man. And I, He's and not I wrong. That I think He's that's, not a wrong. Fair, that's a fair it's, first question to ask. It is it's not wrong. I think it is. It I, is I really do. Um, I mean, I think the Patriots are farther along with the way that they are right now. But you know what? I, I don't even know if that's they, – they've got a ton of changes that they have to make. I mean, the, the, the Patriots have a lot of work to do trying to revamp this roster to figure it out and don't have as much flexibility as I think they would like. And how much longer is Bill Belichick going to continue to coach is another fair question because, you know, we're talking about getting this thing on the right track and, you know, the Jets at least know who they're going to try with and the Giants are, you know, a year away from then being back on the upswing of doing what they want to do. I don't think the Giants have committed to Daniel Jones, by the way. I think it's more a product of, 
as a first round, six overall pick, you can't move yeah. him right now. So the, he's going to play quarterback Dan, for them. Daniel, There's just no Daniel like, Jones is what they, Sam Darnold was, and and they have no like they have no cap space. So what's the point? Exactly. He's just going to play, and I think they're talking him up because they want to you know they want to give him a fair shot. But Daniel Jones is going to have to play incredibly well this year to be the long-term answer just because of the finances of it. You know, then you have to figure out the fifth-year option plus mm-hmm. the extension, which is going to be, because he's a quarterback, above you know, market value. Someone will pay something for Daniel Jones compared to having the rookie. So all of that stuff aside, I, I don't know that the Patriots – like the Patriots seem like the easy answer right now, but I don't even know how close they are because they got to figure out the rest of their roster. We've, we've established – that Mac Jones isn't somebody who's carrying you there. And then if they are, are turning around in, in a couple of years looking at, uh, well, Bill Belichick retires and Josh McDaniels Joe is Judge gone. is our head coach. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, Joe he's Judge. calling the plays for the Pats right he's now. Gonna I, mean, be I, don't, I don't know what the, the plan is going to be. I, I would think that it wouldn't be Joe Judge. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine that the Patriots would go in a different direction. But, like, how much longer is Bill Belichick going to coach, I think is a reasonable question to ask. Because if they're not, say it this way, if the Patriots are not in the Super Bowl in the next two years, which I don't think I don't think they will be. No, I really don't. I, I agree. Then how much longer is Belichick coaching? Like, is he, how many years is he? Is he, what, is he 65 right now? He's the second oldest no, head coach. He's the that. second Older oldest head coach behind yeah. Pete Carroll. Who is I honest, so much better. I, honest, I love I love Bill, but he looks I, uh, <laughs> Well, Bill has always looked like a Bill, Bill a, a is not Bill's 69 years old. Bill's not in his prime. He will be 70 uh, yep. on April 16th. Right. So, so, I mean, to me, Bill, I mean, I agree. Uh, he's not He's not spry. My whole thing is that I, I just don't know what's going to happen with him going forward. I mean, I don't understand. Like, if he's not going to retire now, what is he waiting for? So, you know, we'll see what happens with Bill going forward. But – I, 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 to me, him coaching longer is only going to hurt his legacy. So if yeah. I were him, I'd just cut bait and retire. I mean, everyone's going to look at you as the great. If he retired today, everyone would look at him as the greatest head coach of all time. So just retire, in my opinion. It's, it's a fair criticism. And, you know, you'll never know who's going to pop by here at Radio Row. And we've got a guy who knows Bill Belichick better than everybody, <laughs> right? Everybody here, he, he knows Bill Belichick. He, he certainly does. He beat him in a Super Bowl. Sean O'Hara is going to join us, three-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion with the New York Giants covering them. Uh, you know, Sean, we, we appreciate you taking some time with us. we got to make sure that I'm 100% right there. You got us? Yeah, can I just clarify? I didn't beat Bill Bowman. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Anybody that's seen that Eli Manning that Tyree throw knows that uh, we, were all, uh, we were all hanging on by a thread there for a couple moments but yeah it was uh we definitely felt like we took down death star we we appreciate you you coming on and i guess that's where i wanted to start with you we've met with a number of former players who have had the the opportunity to play in a game of this magnitude and where i was hoping to start with you we make sure we got this right well headset issues coming on right now sorry about that you could you could let, find a way to figure that thing out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we just, just want to make just, sure we got that. Just that iron my out. molars. You all set? We got each other. All right, good. Um, just managing the emotion of playing in a Super Bowl. You know, you you grow up. You want to make it to the NFL. That's the dream. Once you get there, you're you're dreaming about winning a Super Bowl. When you finally get to that moment. How difficult is it for you preparing for this game physically, mentally, haven't been there before to try and block out all the noise that exists and just go play? 
It's impossible really to block out all the noise. Um, so you just kind of have to find a way to, to work through it. But it's unlike any other week you've ever been a part of. So when people say, hey, we're trying to treat it like an ordinary week, you're trying to pull a Jedi mind trick on yourself. Like, all right, it's ordinary, it's ordinary. But the challenge really is just leading up to the game. Once the game starts, all right, it's football. And we've been playing all year. And, like, you, you can't wait to get that first hit in, kind of get that first drive going um, and get into a rhythm. But it's just the anticipation. And to be honest with you, there was – you know, you're almost kind of too, you're like, everybody's so worried about being rested and like, all right, I want to make sure that we've got enough energy. And it's like, you almost kind of, you almost feel like you get too amped up sometimes. So you, you got to kind of tone that down. But from a preparation standpoint, everybody is so hyper-focused, so laser-focused. They're so locked in. And it's unlike, you know, look, week 13, people are, you know, it's a grind and everybody's just kind of like, all right, you're, you're kind of going through the normal routine, the normal pro- progression. But when it's Super Bowl week, I mean, you can hear a pin drop in the meeting room. Everybody's locked in. And I think that's kind of what builds, the crescendo builds as the week goes along. And it's like, all right, all right, we're getting closer, we're getting closer. Saturday is the longest day of the week because you go and you do a little walkthrough. You don't even get to do a workout. And then you're, like, done from 12 o'clock, and then you, you have a meeting at 7 o'clock. So if you have some family in town, maybe you can kind of hang out with them and just take your mind off of the game as hard as it is to do that when you're in the Super Bowl city and everything's – you know, in your face, um, but you know, then then you get up Sunday morning and the day of the game, you're just you're playing the game out in your head, and like you're visualizing all of the good things that are going to happen, and um, you know you can't wait to to get to the stadium and just kind of get out there and, and and let the game begin. But it's a long build up. You go out and you warm up, and then normally it's you know sing the national anthem, coin toss, and let's go. Super Bowl, it's like 35 minutes. Like you, you need to bring like a power bar or bring a Snickers out on the sideline with you. Sean, you know, looking at the game tomorrow with the Bengals and the Rams, I think the biggest matchup or one of the biggest matchups is that Bengals O-line versus that Rams pass rush. As a guy who played on the O-line yourself, if you were heading into this game looking at, the, you know, these guys like Von Miller, uh, Aaron Donald, what would you be thinking about going into the game? What would be a, an offensive line group mindset, if you will? Like what would your, be your focus? Yeah, I mean, number one is don't let him wreck the game. You know, don't let him wreck our quarterback. And, look, Joe Burrow's taking a lot of sacks this year. Um, Some of them are on him, too. You know, he's a young quarterback, so he's back there burping the baby as well. But, yeah, this offensive line, they've got a monumental task. And it's ironic because when we played the Patriots, they had some studs. I mean, Mike Vrabel was coming off the edge. Richard Seymour just went in the Hall of Fame. Um, Jarvis Green was a stud. Uh, Dalys Thomas, who they had picked up from Baltimore. So, they had a pretty darn good front, and as a, as a unit, you're just like, all right, we, we got to make sure we give our quarterback, you know, opportunities, give him time. You, you don't ever want to be the, the guy that got beat in the Super Bowl to give up a sack that loses the game. So, uh, you, as an old lineman, you can never recover from that. Yeah. But I think the challenge is you're playing Aaron Donald, you're playing Leonard Floyd and Vaughn Miller. Like, we've got to be good on first and second down. Like, we cannot win this game if we're in third and eight, third and nine, third and ten you know multiple times we've got to do a good job running the football so i feel like for cincinnati joe mixon is is really going to be the catalyst for that um you know try to find a way to get him going early on get him in some rhythm and it can be you know some screen plays you know some draws to get him in space kind of take that defensive pass rush out but early on in the game you know we would script our first 15 plays as an offense 
and Kevin Gilbride was our offensive coordinator. But if we were playing Aaron Donald right now, I'd be saying, KG, look, we got to trap this dude. We got to wham him. I want, it. I want I want receivers coming in to hit him. I want this guy thinking about everything to the left and the right of him. I don't want him thinking about you know full attack mode on our quarterback. So let's give him some 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 things to think about and 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 get some, give him some screens. You mentioned Richard Seymour being announced as a Hall of Famer on Thursday. Same night, Aaron Rodgers wins NFL MVP. Wanted to hear your thoughts on that award. If on, he deserved on, on the MVP, it. yes, or, or Seymour, yeah, Seymour did um, on Aaron Rodgers. This is kind of a, it's definitely a debate, and and my thought on this is, that, look, there's no wrong answer. You know, I, I feel like Cooper Cup could have very well been in the MVP as well. So I don't, I feel like Cooper Cup could have gotten it over Aaron Rodgers, and I would have been okay with that. But to me, the, the fact there's no wrong answer, um, I'm going to counter that with, to me, there was a better answer. There was a better option, and it was Tom Brady. I don't know how you can look at what Tom Brady did this season and not say he was the best player in the NFL. Like Cooper Cup is phenomenal what he did. Tom Brady threw for 5,300 yards. Right? There are nine quarterbacks in the history of the game that have thrown for 5,000 yards in a season. There's two of them. That have done it multiple times, Drew Brees and Tom Brady. He threw for over five thousand yards, and we just—it's like, oh yeah, no, we're, like we don't even talk about it. Like it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's Tom. Like we have a different standard of excellence for him. Aaron Rodgers throws thirty-six touchdowns, and we're like, oh MVP, that was a great year. Tom Brady threw six more touchdowns than Aaron Brady. He, uh, uh, than uh, excuse me, Aaron Rodgers. Tom Brady threw for twelve hundred more yards than Aaron Rodgers, and he did it at forty-four years old. I mean, most guys at 44 years old are thinking about, should I start taking my 401K now at 45 or should I wait <laughs> another 10 years and get a bigger draw? So I think what Tom Brady did uh, this past season, it was definitely MVP worthy. He would have had my vote um, because when you look at, you know, how they did it to the defending Super Bowl champs, it's hard. It's hard to go back to back like that. And he had an unbelievable season, led the NFL in every statistical category. Ironically, the last time that he did that and threw for over 5,000 yards – was 2011 he won the mvp that year so i thought he got shafted uh not often that tom brady gets robbed (laughs) of an award but in that case um i I thought he did sean thanks for coming on i wanted to ask you about the giants moving forward obviously a new coaching staff brian dable now the head coach of the team just what are your expectations for daniel jones going forward and for the team as a whole yeah great question i think you know for giants fans they, they hope that they're they hope that they're running forward you know i think realistically we've got to take you know, baby steps, you know, we got to crawl before we can walk. But um, for Giants fans, it's been tough. It's been tough sledding. Look, I've been, I'm in that stadium for every home game, and I see it as the season goes along. Denver, week one, the place was rocking. It was, it was a great day with beautiful weather. And, you know, we had Eli, we retired his jersey against mm-hmm. uh, Atlanta. We had Stray in there against Philadelphia, um, going in the Ring of Honor and retiring his jersey. So there were some great moments, some great opportunities. But the product on the field was just abysmal. I mean, it was you couldn't watch it at the end of the season. The offense, you know, everybody was calling for Jason Garrett's head, and when he got fired, it was the offense got even worse. So it was, you know, you look around the league and teams are scoring forty points. You know, it's they have explosive plays and it's they're fun to watch. The Giants, I mean, there, there was nothing fun about watching them this past season. So that that was tough. I think for Brian Dable, this is going to be a totally different offense. I mean, look at what he's done up in Buffalo. When he came to Buffalo, um, they, they were like a 17-year playoff drought. So it probably feels like 17 years for the Giants. It hasn't been that long, but they built it the right way. They drafted some good offensive linemen. They've grown their players. Josh Allen has grown 
throughout from year to year to year. His, his first two years, he was struggling. And then his third and fourth year, all of a sudden, he kind of exploded onto the scene. And a lot of that was because of Brian Dable. Not just the scheme, but his ability to tailor make that offense for Josh Allen. The great thing is, I feel like Daniel Jones is like a protege of Josh Allen. Like they're they're both very athletic. They probably probably ran the same forty. You know, I don't have those numbers off the top of my head, but great arm strength, competitor. So I think this offense is going to really suit Daniel Jones. Now the challenge is we just got to block people because I don't care what your scheme is, who your quarterback is. You know, Tom Brady wouldn't have won many games last year with, with the Giants and, and their inability to block people uh, in both the run game and the pass game. Do you see Daniel Jones as a quarterback of the future? I do. Um, I mean, it's a big year. I mean, he's, he's going to be the quarterback this year. And I think that, you know, if they are solid around him and if they can be functional around him, I think he's got a really good shot of putting his best foot forward and showing and proving to everybody that, hey, look, I, I can be the guy – to lead this franchise for the next five to seven years. I think the Giants believe in him. I think he's got all of those tangibles. Physically, we just haven't been able to see how good his arm is. He's an unbelievably accurate deep ball thrower. Like, he, he is money. Um, you know, you can go back and look at some of the touchdown throws that he's made. I mean, the dime that he threw to Golden Tate against the New England Patriots a couple years ago up in New England uh, was phenomenal. I go back to even last year, um, not, not this past season, but the year before that, when they played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at MetLife Stadium, they were beating the Bucks. The Bucks went on to win Super Bowl that year. They were beating him. He he made some unbelievable throws uh, in that game, uh, an unbelievable wheel route to to one of the running backs, um, a great throw. I think it was to Shepard or um, or maybe Slayton in the back of the end zone. So th- there has been glimpses of that, um, and, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that moving forward. Talking with Sean O'Hara, former New York Giants Super Bowl champion. Sean, we appreciate you taking some time. I'll get you out of here on this one. What is your read Heading into tomorrow, who are you taking and, and what are you looking for in particular? Yeah, this is a tough Super Bowl to kind of really say one side's got leverage. I mean, neither one of these teams were supposed to be here, right? I mean, everybody's picking Brady to be back in it. It was going to be Bucks Chiefs or maybe Bucks Bills, maybe Green Bay Bills. Um, so, really, it's, it's two teams that, you know, I think are pretty even, you know, evenly matched. Um, on paper, I feel like the Rams have the more talented team, they, they have the more talented players. And kind of when you look at the way they've been assembled, it's kind of like an NBA team. It's like, all right, yeah, we're going to take Von Miller. We got, um, you know, we're picking Matt Stafford. All right, we, you know, we, we're bringing guys in left and right. They picked up Waddle, uh, Eric Weddle, and, you know, it's just kind of like this dream team that they've assembled. But I look at the Bengals and the way that their path, um, you know, they've overcome so much, and, and I, I feel like sometimes they're a more physical team. So I'm kind of le- I'm leaning towards the Bengals in this game. I feel like Joe Burrow um, – He's, he's, he's got a special set of skills, to quote Liam Neeson, any <laughs> movie guys there. Um, and uh, I'm not going to try to pretend to do an accent there. But, um, yeah, I think uh, I think the world has been taken by Joe Burrow um, and, and, and the confidence, the moxie. He reminds me a little bit of Eli. Uh, he's got a little Joe Montana in him from the clutch play standpoint. But uh, I just kind of look at, like, the relationship between him and Jamar Chase. All right, last time these two guys were on a team together, they won the national championship in college, and Joe Burrow lit it up. He had almost 500 yards, I think five touchdowns. Um, I, I can see that same kind of performance out of these two guys. So uh, it, as much as I've got some friends on the Rams uh, team, and for them to be at home here, and, and I mean, they're sleeping in their own bed this whole week. Like, it couldn't have been 
a better situation for them to, to have this, the game here and, and to find a way to be in it. So it would certainly be a great ending for them to be able to win it in front of their, in their home city, in their home stadium, uh, in front of a lot of their fans. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I just had this weird feeling about the Bengals. Sean O'Hara taking the Bengals with a movie reference to boot. Uh, Sean, we really appreciate you taking some time and stopping by. All right, thanks, boys. Appreciate, you, appreciate it. Enjoy it. the game. Thank, Thank you. One on one here on YouTube Live and 90.7 FM. Rolling on our thanks to you know all of our guests and for Sean for for taking so much time with us and previewing this matchup. Nick DeLuca, Mike Messina, Jack Roach, and and Mike Legan here with you on the other side of this break. We will wrap up and give our Super Bowl predictions. It's Super Bowl 56, Rams and Bengals. Who you got? Stay with us here for the final 10 minutes from Radio Row on One on One. Keenan Troy here with Nick Guzman. And we're responsible for keeping everyone in the loop with the world of soccer, breaking it down weekly on FUVFC. From the international stage to the domestic league, myself and Keenan focus on key storylines, the week's biggest matchups, and everything that the beautiful game has to offer. Medi B. Monte, Michael Hernandez, and James Burley also lend a hand as we keep our finger on the pulse of the United States men's national team, as well as the buildup to the 2022 Qatar World Cup. You don't want to miss it. FUVFC is a production of WFUV Sports. I'm Samantha Borer, beat reporter for the New Jersey Devils for WFUV Sports. You can catch my live updates from the Prudential Center on my Twitter at SammyB7760. That's S-A-M-M-Y-B-7760. You'll find my post-game reports on the WFUV Sports YouTube after the game to catch you up on any action you may have missed. I'll have an inside scoop on all things New Jersey hockey all season long. You can also find me on 5 on 3, WFUV's NHL podcast where we discuss all the latest news in hockey both on and off the ice. WFUV is your home for all things Devils. Final 10 minutes as we wrap up here from Radio Road, the Los Angeles Convention Center ahead of Super Bowl 56. So awesome of Sean O'Hara, former New York Giants center, Super Bowl champion in that thrilling 08 Super Bowl, stopping by and, and chatting with us, giving us some great insight. I mean, that was, was incredible, and, and thank you so much to Sean for doing that. We'll, we'll finish up here in our final eight minutes from Radio Row talking about, you know, who you got. It's, it's the pick'em segment. It's the <laughs> rubber meets the road. It's, the, it, it's time. you got to make a decision who you're taking. Is it the Rams or the Bengals? We're going to go around the table here. Yeah, I mean, first off, before I get my pick, I just want to say it's been an absolute pleasure being out here on Radio Row. I've had an amazing time. We've had some amazing guests, some great conversation, a lot of passion, and it's been truly fantastic. I just thought it was fitting, we said in the break, we started our first interview of the week was a former center who played in New York, Nick Mangold. We end with another former center who played in New York in uh, Sean O'Hara. So, I mean, 
just great. In terms of picking this game, I have to be honest. After hearing Sean talk, I feel even more vindicated about how I'm feeling about things. He said in his gut he feels he's got this feeling that it's going to be the Bengals. He likes Joe Cool. He says he got some Montana in him, some Eli in him, which I referenced earlier in the show. So it was like, hey, if, if Sean O'Hara is saying these things to me and we're on the same page, I feel like i got to go with this pick. It's who I want to win as well. Give me the Cincinnati Bengals in this game. I think they're going to beat the Rams. Joe Burrow becomes the third Joe to win a Super Bowl and a national championship. You know, earlier we did the Circle of Trust segment where we broke down head coach, we broke down quarterback, we broke down receivers. And for me, my answer of who I trusted more was the Rams for all three. And I feel that way about the defense too. On paper, I feel like the Rams are such a slam dunk pick. And they're playing at home. I mean, Sean even mentioned they're sleeping in their own beds, right? Whereas, you know, you're, you're flying in, you're getting adjusted. I mean, you can even say that about us. You know, we're, we're staying at an Airbnb getting used to this whole setup. The Rams have been here. And on paper, I, I feel like it's the Rams. But, you know, yesterday I said my head's telling me um, Rams and my heart's telling me Bengals. And I think Sean kind of expressed that same sentiment in – you know, if anything, just confirmed that suspicion, that that gut feeling that I had. And, you know, earlier this year when we had the chance to speak with uh, Mr. JR Sport Brief, um, I said that I like the Bengals. I think that Joe Burrow's great, and I see them as a legitimate contender in the AFC. Well, here they are in the Super Bowl, and I think they're going to win the whole thing. Yeah, I've been on the Bengals from the start since we first found out they were going to be in this game. And I feel like the entire world is also on the Bengals, and that's kind of what scares me. We always <laughs> see those graphics on, on Sunday Night Football. Every analyst is picking one team. They obviously lose. But I'm going to vibe with the Bills here. Uh, Bills. <laughs> <laughs> I'll Bills. take, yeah, no, I'll no, take no. Mac Jones. The Bengals. The Bengals. But I also want to, real quick before I send it to you, Nick, I want to get these four prop bets I have real quick because we never got to that segment. Joe Burrow, anytime touchdown, plus mm. 700. Evan, Mc, Evan McPherson, over 7.5 kicking points Matthew Stafford over 36 and a half pass attempts and my favorite one Jamar Chase two plus two plus touchdowns plus 650 really wow. plus two, two touchdowns there wow okay Jalen Ramsey might have something to say about yeah. that that's we'll see. that's interesting we'll yeah. see values well, there uh, that is that is interesting value and be be certain to pay attention to that and and those are some good ones so I, I'll have to to look over and we'll go over that stuff I, I may take advantage of some of those insights from from Mike Messina here as we wrap up in, in in anticipation of Super Bowl 56, the good thing about your graphic here with all of the, the guest pickers, whomever it is, I'm the only one who's going to take the Rams. I mean, I, I think that's the obvious choice here. I mean, Joe Burrow is probably the guy that I trust more, but the Rams just have the better team. And they're up and down just – from a wide receiver perspective, from an offensive line perspective, from a defensive line perspective, from the secondary, I think the Bengals are the cool story, but they feel a year ahead of schedule to me. I don't know that they're ready, and I know that they have passed every test that has come their way. A lot of credit goes to them for being able to do that, but I think they've had a lot of breaks, and I think their luck runs out against a team that is is really good I mean the Rams are a really good team and they are just well built there's a lot to deal with and I just there are two aspects of this game that I don't have answers for how does the Bengals secondary go about slowing down all the weapons that the Rams have they might be able to slow down Odell 
but then Cooper Cup's going to run wild or vice versa. It's going to be something along those lines that I don't think Cincinnati has those types of answers. And in the same vein, what is Cincinnati going to do to stop this Rams pass rush? I just don't see it. And I know there are a lot of things that, that they can try and drum up. You can draw the extra attention, double-team Aaron Donald. You can try and run that outside zone, as Greg Cosell mentioned, or you know, try and hit them from all different angles, as, as Sean O'Hara thought might be a good idea. But at the end of the day, they just have too much up front. This is a suspect Cincinnati offensive line. And when you're overmatched in the trenches, that to me is oftentimes the difference in the game. I mean, maybe I'm partial to, to the play up front, but I think that that is a huge element of what determines winning and losing. And I think on both sides of the ball, the Rams have that advantage. So I, I guess I'm going out on a limb because I'm the only one who's taking the favorite here, but I just think the Rams find a way to get it done. Fair enough. I mean, I, I agree with all the points that you made, but I just can't get past the fact that I've had that same conversation in my head for each of the matchups that the Bengals had. I, I said to Mike, I thought that the Titans were a lock to beat the Bengals. Said the same thing about the Chiefs game, and here they are. Joe Cool, man. Joe I, Cool. I respect it. Guys, it's been a blast getting a chance to, to come out here in Los Angeles for the week having an opportunity to, to spend it with so many great guests and get so many great insights, but also, you know, have fun uh, over the course of this week with you guys. Really appreciate all, all of your work. It's been so much fun. Yeah, this has been a lifelong dream of mine to come out to Radio Row, be able to be in this atmosphere. I know it's not as hectic, hectic today, but the last two days have been an amazing experience, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yep, I said it on our first show. I grew up as a kid listening to some guys do shows out here, Francesa, Carton, you name it, and to finally be out here, do a show, meet some, some heroes of mine, some celebrities. It's been truly fantastic. It's a blessing. Had a blast. Wouldn't have done it any other way with any other group of guys. Really appreciate it, guys. It was so much fun. If you missed any of today's segments, today's show will be available on demand on the WFUV Sports YouTube channel. The sports director of WFUV, Bobby Chafferdini, our many thanks to so many great guests over the course of this week. The ones on today's show, Greg Cosell of NFL Films, Brandon Marshall, former Broncos linebacker and Super Bowl 50 champion. Lee Steinberg, NFL agent, spending some time with us. And Sean O'Hara stopping by Super Bowl champion with the New York Giants. For our entire WFUV sports crew here in Los Angeles, Jack Roach, Mike Legan, and Mike Messina, I'm Nick DeLuca. Thanks for hanging out with us all week long, one-on-one, -on -one, a production of WFUV Sports.